Tonight I come to the last part of this week's intriguing, chilling story. And if you're certain that you're warm and safe, I will begin. Everybody listen, calm down. I'm staying calm. Good. That's my way of saying I'm not calm. Would you have a drink with me, Captain? Flying pineapple is shit! Well, it just needs a bit of shading. Oh, shut up. What are you doing there, 3PO? Cue her. Good morning. I'm bringing you some sad and upsetting news. Help! 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 Hurry, please! I'm joking. You mustn't mind him, lad. He has his ways. everybody, I'm Chris. I'm Craig. I'm Jack. Jack. I am. <laughs> Martin. That's got long, man. I thought I would go for it this week. <laughs> welcome. Welcome to the helium and just uh, latest and last edition of what had been the Crane Guide film. The last Lockdown edition. Miscellany. Well, it's the last edition because the lockdown is party. Until it comes so back it? again in the winter, and uh, <laughs> we're all... in the meantime, I'll uh, I'll uh, introduce what, uh, Craig, who's going to be uh, chairing this particular issue. We've, because the lockdown has kind of run its course, and there's no point in re- recommending things to while it away, since, as we mentioned last time round, everybody's whiling it away by going out and doing stuff. Uh, we're so... going to uh, have a special edition, a sort of Jus Sans Frontières. Uh, to bring together some of the things uh, that we have been enjoying and not enjoying over the past uh, three months and what has been a particularly interesting period in all our lives. So, Craig, take it away. Thank you, Chris, and right back at you. So, listen, guys, I've been crunching the data that's been coming back at us over the last five weeks. Uh, Looking at it at a fairly granular level, and what I've realised is that we need a format change. And a format change that that gets us to those audiences that we have hitherto underserved. Everyone, in other words. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, it's not just overweight middle-aged men. We need someone (laughs) else. So, in in the um, the I'm a perfect weight. Yeah, for... For the Paul Shane tribute act I've been working on for the last 15 years. Baby, baby! (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so format change. So in order to uh, get the kids, because it's the kids it's all about, to get the kids listening, um, I think we should do it as, Mm -hmm. wait for it, drum roll, snog marry avoid. Woo! What is is that? What the, yeah, the yeah. kids do that, don't they? I've seen that. I've they, seen the kids so I'm do told, that. Yeah, that's what the kids do. The kids yeah. in the skateboard parks. Is it like so, kiss, cuddle, um, and torture? <laughs> no, it will be for you, man. It will be how for you. you. How, how are your children? No, um, <laughs> it's, it's, that's an immediate name change, by the way. So carry on, please, with kiss, cuddle, and torture. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so kiss, cuddle, and torture. I like this actually. Yeah. This is this is yeah, why, this is why we have 
This is yep. why we have the audience of the size that we do. We're pretty, yeah. We keep, we're like David Bowie. We just keep mutating like this. It's fantastic. Yeah. This is our Tim Machine moment. Kiss, cuddle, and torture as it's now become, <laughs> as it's always been. Because yeah. yeah. we've yeah. always been at war with East Asia, and it's always been yeah. a kiss, cuddle, and torture. So mm. kiss, cuddle, and torture. The kiss is something that you have a snap. It's a, it's a brief love affair with. You're not mm-hmm. quite sure where it's going to go, but at the moment, uh-huh. it's nice. You know, you're having a nice kiss. Why not? Uh-huh. Cuddle will be something that you absolutely love. You're mm-hmm. committed to it in the long term. This is something that's going to be a big thing for you going forward. And torture is something that is, of course, absolutely terrible, awful, dreadful. Don't want to watch it again. Fed up. Avoid. And let's probably spend more time on that because we want to sort of... It's been too positive until now. We need to start doing horrible things about stuff. So mm-hmm. that's the plan. I will go around you all. We'll do it as a round. So it'll be the kiss round first. Mm-hmm. Then it's the cuddle round. And then if you're following this, which one's third? <laughs> it's the cuddle round. Looking forward to that. Excuse me. I that dog. Uh, and then it's going to be torture. It's going to be torture. Okay. And then torture, yeah. I think so, all of uh, it's going to be torture. I think all of it's going to be torture. <laughs> so each of us will get a choice to pick for each round. And we'll talk about that for a few minutes. And we'll fuck it. We'll go on for hours, probably. But that's okay. Yep. So, Chris, first of all, what is your kiss? Ghost stories for Christmas. Suffice that we should pray that his soul may rest eternally within the sight and love of God. His will be done. It was a face, yes, but a face like no other he had ever seen. He stood at the altar at the Feast of Venus praying, I asked for, he didn't dare to say the ivory maiden. One night, the idol of uh, Now, obviously, I, I, I've, I've, there are some ghost stories for Christmas that I've watched for a long time and I've always loved. But during the lockdown, I started to explore some of the deeper, darker corners of what mm. is counted as ghost stories for Christmas. Moved on from the simple M.R. James, simple, <laughs> to the more <laughs> extraordinary corners of what's considered uh, uh, ghost stories for Christmas. For example, Shalkin the painter, mm. which I hadn't what seen until that? a couple of weeks ago, and uh, which is uh, which is great. What is it today, in here? Mary Magdalene. She's in the Bible. I, I tend to watch a lot of these on uh, YouTube. Uh, because it's a good way to discover newer ones, because obviously the the options sort of flash up before you. Uh, yeah. The the more traditional ones, the Signalman, uh, the Stogs of Barchester, all these sort of things, uh, I've I've known for a long time. But uh, other ones have st- appeared before my eyes, and Sh- uh, Shalkin is one of them. Now, I see that the ones. I didn't know that anybody else... I didn't know that it was well-known. I mentioned to you, Craig, while I was watching mm-hmm. it, that I'd seen it, and I thought it was extraordinary. And you pointed out, because this is much more your sort of thing. Yeah, that, sure. Uh, yeah. That, it's a, that it's a sort of well-known uh, one. I mean, it's got a great cast. Yeah. Uh, Morris Denham, especially, is, is particularly good. 
Uh, but there are some other ones as well uh, that I got into. Uh, I mean, I had only, I think I'd only ever watched Casting the Runes, for example, once, mm-hmm. uh, which is the uh, the 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 ITV uh, adaptation mm-hmm. of the Mr. James one, which is which is usually just used in clip form, and specifically is only ever used in creepy montages of Ian Cuthbertson <laughs> laughing in a globe. <laughs> <laughs> which is sort of, which is sort of used all the time. It's the seven, it's the sort of the seventies equivalent of of that guy in the top hat and military jacket picking stuff out. <laughs> in uh, but it's the only I, I think it's pretty much the only ITV one that, yeah. that I've watched. Mm-hmm. I think there, Craig, you'll know there are there are lots more. Yeah, it was Lord, Lawrence Scott Lawrence. Can never get the names right. Lawrence Gordon Cannell, I think, wasn't Clark? Yeah. Yeah, um, who made these? That was he'd run out of them at the BBC. He set them up from 1970 onwards when he'd made uh, the stalls of Barchester, and he made them all through the mm. 70s. And then yeah. he'd kind of run out with them, and the BBC had kind of kind of thought, okay, well, we're not doing that anymore. So he mm. went to um, to I don't know which of the channels it was, but one of the ITV channels, and made a modern. They weren't keen on mm. doing a period, so he made a modern dress version of. Uh, casting the runes with Ian Cutlass and a very comely um, yeah uh, Jan Francis in it as well. And, I, I, and I'll tell you what, one of the things that I love most about it and why I've enjoyed it, particularly through the lockdown, is that it's very snowy. But it's like proper snow. Mm. It's proper British snow, like mucky town snow, mm-hmm. not not box of the <laughs> snow, which is like lovely, thick, frosty, you know, uh, uh, evocative wintry yeah. snow. It's mucky, minky, manky, <laughs> dog shitty, tire tracky, grey sludge with bits in it at the side of the road snow. Oh, how uh, and that's that's <laughs> been a big relief. That's been a big relief, let me tell you, during the during some of this. I was gonna challenge you on this because we we kinda of differ on this, don't we? I like watching things. See, I would start putting these on from September onwards. You're a kind of contra programmer, aren't you? Mm. Yeah, so when when things when the weather's been gets uh, kind of unbearable, and I, I'm not a person for hot weather at all, oh, so yeah. I like to try I like to try and cut through it by uh, so in the first flush of hot weather during the lockdown, I started to watch things like The Thing and oh, yeah. uh, Murder on the Orient Express, sort of textbook snowy films. Uh, but you can only watch them for so long. I, I'm always I'm always worried about scunnering myself off. Things. I mean, I don't think it's possible to scan yourself off a carpenter film, but uh, you don't want to kick the arse out of it. And then mm. it seemed obvious then to to, to try and uh, forget about the the miseries of uh, of what was going on during the lockdown, uh, and con- with conjoined with the with unpleasant for me in any case unpleasant weather, uh, mm. mugginess and 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 uh, and stifling heat by uh, escaping into televisual wintry nights and ghost stories for Christmas are particularly good at that. Although not all of them are are wintry, but no, they are no. all at night. <laughs> yeah. So like uh, The Signalman, for, exa- for example, I don't think it's particularly wintry, The Signalman. I mean, it's a bit misty yeah. when he's going backwards and forwards from from the uh, uh, from the from the inn. And, and uh, a warning to the curious is not wintry at all. It's no, actually no. quite summery. 
but it is mm-hmm. it is all at night. And of course, yeah. uh, as the as time progressed uh, from during the lockdown, f- from I mean, it really started after the clocks changed, which is a good actually a good indictment of the time of period when the clocks change. This is what happens. He changed the fucking <laughs> clocks and the world turns to shit. Is that, uh, is that it's just too bloody bright. Uh, so yeah, I end up trying to uh, trying to raise the spirits of nice wintry evenings by uh, at least watching things that happen at night. So all of the ghost stories at Christmas, I, I've never been let down by them. Then, of no. course, there is the reprise seasons. Which is basically the 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 Gatus period. Mm-hmm. So a view from the hill, uh, number thirteen. I don't think number thirteen actually is Gatus, but in any case, you know what I mean. The return, no. the return period, uh, and especially yeah. I have to say, Martin's close. I wasn't sold on Martin's close the first time I saw it. I thought it was a bit thin. And I thought that the the sort of scary bit happened far too late in it, but I've completely changed my opinion of it now. Oh, it's good. one of my That's favourites good, yeah. now because Capaldi is so great in it. Yeah, uh, yeah. And actually, the 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 devices of the sort of uh, the little silent periods where the sort of hysteria is covered by silence, and mm-hmm. and of course the, the the thing that kept me with it is Simon Williams uh, interjecting in it, you know, with a little glass of Madeira. And so concluded the strangest case that Judge George Jeffries ever tried. Yeah, yeah. by a fireside, which 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 are great. There's a couple of little things that I picked up on that I'd never noticed before. Uh, so, for example, uh, in a view from the hill, is the craggy old unpaid butler, and in number thirteen, the the landlord of the inn. Are played by so I never recognised before. Are played by David Burke, uh, who was the first uh, Watson to Brett's. Of course he was. Sherlock yeah, Holmes, yeah. Which yeah, I, I genuinely had yeah. never occurred to me until I saw the titles because he looks so different and, and yeah. he, he plays in a very different way. So little things like that crop up. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I've been comforting myself with uh, with those quite a lot, and I've been enjoying them. I've been enjoying them very much, uh, but. Because some of them are so new, I can't shift them into cuddle. Uh, it'll take a bit Fair of enough. time for, especially yeah. Shalkin, I think, which will take a few viewings uh, mm-hmm. before it shifts onto the uh, moves into the top division. But that's where I've uh, that's that's where I've been with the uh, with the ghost stories. Not necessarily all for Christmas, but let's just call them ghost stories for Christmas. Yeah. What about the other lads? Have you been? Are these things that you know? Yes, I mean I, I love these. Uh, actually, I wanted to ask you, Chris, what you thought of the um, the dead room, which is the one with the radio presenter, because of, of the of the um, of the new run. I think that's the only one that's not an adaptation, but it's an original, isn't it? It's original gated. If there's one thing all these years of doing ghost stories has taught me. It's that there's no such thing as the supernatural. Well, some people have seen like a skeletal nun in the canteen. I'm not surprised the cottage pie was inedible. Do you like that one? Yeah. Yeah, the Simon Callow one. Yeah, I do yeah. like it. Uh, I, I, I think it, I think it's got a really nice atmosphere to it, uh, and of course, it's very well played. There's another one actually that uh, is on YouTube in a quite a rough form because it's it's billed as being a sort of a, a rediscovered one, which is which is uh, revolves around T. P. McKenna, 
Oh yeah. Uh, the 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 Irish actor who mm-hmm. also plays somebody who does I can't remember what it's called now to be honest. Uh, but he's somebody who does radio plays, and mm. he reads them uh, on his own in a studio in the dark, mm-hmm. and he comes up with a new one every week. And as he reads them, he stumbles across a particular story, and then it leads to a sort of haunting. And the aghast Orsino stared down, not at flawless emptiness, such as the cabinet was supposed to contain, but at... Only they are. Nicely. It's sort of weirdly redolent of the dead room. Circuit's blown up here. We're going to look for the fault. Relax. Just, just stay where you are. Uh, with, yeah. Although the dead room is a bit of a modern twist, so it just proves that there's nothing actually terribly new that you can do with ghost stories. Yeah. What you can do, it's just how you make them, really, that matters. I mean, M.R. James has has really done the whole schmear as far as uh, shocks and stories and, <laughs> you know, uh, variations of them, whatever. So you've got to give credit to, uh, to your man for... Uh, for having the balls to try and do one of his own, which I think is quite it's quite courageous, actually. Uh, I mean, the ones that he'd done before, I mean, I think A View From A Hill is probably... Those weren't by him, though. The View From The Hill and Number 13 were not gated. No, by. quite. But, uh, and the, but, but he did direct them. Uh, uh, like, and, and indeed... Did he not? I thought he did A View From... No. He certainly did the track to, the track to Midoth. Yes. Uh, which, yeah, uh, which, again, is actually really, really very good. But the yeah. interesting thing about A View From A Hill and Tractate Midoth, I think View From A Hill more, is that it's probably it's probably got the least obvious sort of scares in it. Uh-huh. A View From A Hill is sort of, it gets you chin-stroking, and it, it, nothing happens of a spooky nature until really very near the end. Well, at least mm-hmm. of a of a dangerous nature for the characters involved. But they're still so nicely made and so well played. Uh, but in any case, sorry, to get back to your point, Jack, mm. I did like the dead room, and Gatiss is obviously setting himself up as as the sort of... Uh, and there's a little conversation between him and Lawrence Gordon-Clark. That's right, uh, yeah. That's, that's, on, that's, on, uh, that's online as well, which is quite nice. Where they it talk comes about, from the nice uh, documentary he did about um, M.R. James. Yes, I, yes, indeed, and 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 again, there are two very good documentaries: the tra- the the uh, the Gatiss one, but also the one the the weird one that Bill Wallace, yes. <laughs> the actor who's known, I think, actually only for, in my mind for two things: one for being the Minister of Health in the smoking one of Yes, Prime Minister, and for being rat in the Box of Delights. I'll <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, one thing for that. Uh huh. I'll tell you a tale, I'll tell you a tale, I'll tell you a tale of Alan Adele. Alan Adele, Alan Adele, Alan Adele, Alan Adele, Alan Adele. He's one of the singers of that from Peter Cook and Dudley Moore. Oh, wow. really? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, in any case, he, he also has a, he also fronts a documentary about emergency. You see, the thing is, you, you, there are, there are a, unfortunately, a finite number of, of these ghost story things. So you find yourself just lo- looking for more. And you end up watching the little documentaries and things, which which all help do it. But I have to say, 
I, I, I kind of watch them and I, then I watch them again and I watch them again. Yeah. And I, I, I find that if we get back to the original point, which is things that you watch during the lockdown that are there, that I've sort of taken to heart, that's really Martin's close because I hadn't watched that until the first week of the lockdown when I stumbled across it on the iPlayer. And then and I think I must have watched it half a dozen times since then at least. Brilliant. It, 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 it's, it's, it's just superb. And since Martin's close... Well, ask hey. him what he thinks about them. Yeah, <clears throat> I was going to say, I seem to remember we all had a conversation about the Dead Room. Oh, would it have been at the beginning of last year, after the Christmas holidays, maybe? And one of the things that we all kind of a, a, agreed on was that because of the, the setting, it being a radio play and all that, it actually would work really well purely as an auditory thing, you know, rather yeah. than a television programme. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. so well done. The sound design was really good. And, and I think that's just Gattis's whole Gatis. experience in television, Gatis, his experience yeah. in television and in radio, that mm-hmm. they, they had designed that into it. And it was, a, and of course, Simon Callow completely hams it up, doesn't he? In it? He's pretty yeah, he's great in it. I overheard someone say, did you hear about that poor lad? Drowned. Of course, no one knew about us. I, I, I just said, what a shame. And it was it's really good. Great moments in it. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And the other ones, I'm not spectacularly familiar with them, so I think that's something for me to start taking a wee look at. Well, this, I, this stuff sounds know, really you good. Know, you know the other one that, uh, I mean, I don't know Craig's sort of opinion of this is, which is number 13, uh, which is a few years old now. Uh, yeah. The the one with uh, Greg, Wise. Greg Thingy, Greg Wise, which is which is a lovely production. Paul Freeman is great in it. Problem is, Greg Wise looks lovely. Not the greatest yeah. actor. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, he never has been. I'm yeah. No, I'm sure he is. I'm sure he has many qualities that Emma Thompson knows all about. Uh, and I, I dare say he's got a, a good reputation as a director and so forth. But I, I can't help but think the reason that Number Thirteen doesn't have the profile that it probably deserves is because he's just not that great in it. Uh, which is a shame because, as I say, David Burke is great, Paul Freeman is great. The guy who in the next room, number well, not the next room as it turns out, but number fourteen, yeah. uh, you know, the sort of hair lip guy is brilliant. Uh, so, I, I, is is that your what's what's your opinion of number thirteen, uh, Craig? Yeah, it's one of the lesser ones, definitely. I mean, I, I you know, I, I really love the original sort of run of them, and uh, and I'm a big Mr. James obsessive. It's it is one of the lesser ones. A view from the hill benefits from having the the lovely wintry photography and it's sort of cold, crisp, sunny days. I really rate the track the middle because he does something. I mean, there's so many different things I could go on about this, but he gets Roy Barraclough into it, which it may sound like it's kind of northern stunt casting, except the Mr. James books that have got a lot. The stories have got a lot of humour in them. There's a lot of in jokes about what people at colleges are like, and there's always, you know, you know, the, the, every there's there's bits when you'll say if it's a, if it's at the it's obviously ones that are set at Oxford, you'll say, you know, everything that would be discussed from golf to darts or whatever was discussed, you know. So there's always that humour, and there's always a humour around kind of people who are who run shops or who are little um, servants and things like that, you know. So he does, oh, the cat's just coming. So he does that well. So I like that he got Roy Barraclough in it for that because it fits that beautifully. 
Well, I'll make, I'll say a last I'll say a last word before we pass on, which is that uh, really nothing to do with the topic. But it's just, it's just sort of occurred to me when I was watching the track tape, Madoth, and I'd recommended to our friend Alan as well, who enjoyed it, which is that uh, it sort of makes me a wee bit sad because Roy Barraclough started to have a really great late flowering career. He did, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, he was in the track tape, Madoth. He was in that, and I actually don't care what anybody else thinks, I thought brilliant uh, rethinking of uh, of Are You Being Served? Uh-huh, uh, yeah, played yeah, the sort of Mr. Yeah. Granger character, and he was just great. And you could you could see that if uh, he was on the verge of of getting some really great parts and being rediscovered, and of course then he he, he passed away actually not yeah, when he wasn't really a, a terribly Definitely. great age. So it's just Definitely. a wee it's just a wee bit sad. Yes, he is a dead man, Jack. Mm. Uh, so <laughs> it, it's just it just makes it it just makes the track tape Madoth a wee bit more poignant for me because you have a. Uh, you have your man, the sexy master, uh, in it. Uh, yeah, also, I know he's Jameson. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's great. But uh, I mean, uh, and then Barraclough, I, I just thought, oh, if he had just kept going, he could have been in more of these, yeah. and it would just yeah. have been, it would just have been lovely. So, just a little, uh, now, just a little thought. It's worth a mention. If I made a mistake in this whole transaction, it's that I failed to take down the gentleman's address in my little book. And no, no, I don't keep all the addresses in my head. Otherwise, what would be the point of my little book? So that's um, your kiss mm-hmm. as the ghost stories for Christmas on various channels and all on YouTube, as much as we can do. And also, people should look into the, the documentaries about it, not least of all because the gatest one opens with um, M.R. James being played with our personal mm. friend of the podcast and the great Robert Lloyd Parry, who who we know and who's a great guy and who plays him at the beginning of it. Mm. So next up is Mr. Jack. Jack, what is your kiss? Don't talk, just kiss. So this is uh, this is a series called I May Destroy You, right? So this is a um, comedy drama that I think is it's a co-production between BBC One and HBO, uh, and it's written, a uh, co-directed, exec produced, and starring Michaela Cole. We're watching our favourite German TV show. Science animation at, at the, the same, same time. time. Oh, where'd you get that? Can't remember. Me again. Allow me to pick up where I left off. I'm just not your phone. I don't know. How did last night end? I'm Jay Z on a bad day. Shakespeare on my worst days. Flashbacks. Yeah, I see him a bit. My friend is stressed. Listen to her talk. Make her feel good. If you're gonna talk on my name, be saying with your chest. yourself with people who affirm you. Are you going to miss me? Don't like this sort of conversation. Are we boyfriend and girlfriend? Could you say yes? Wouldn't be a conversation. Is there a reason why you haven't told him about the assault? He's an Italian drug lord. So I've seen the first four episodes of this, and I think it's probably really good, but it, there's, there's 12 episodes in the series. So... I, I want I want to reserve some judgment on this. And the thing that I like That's about this... That's why it's just a kiss. 
That's why it's just a kiss. Correct, Craig. You've, you, you've worked out my, my logic there. So the thing I like about this is, I mean, this is clearly not for me. This is for the young folk, right? Is that actually it reminds me of, or, and, and of only this program, of watching Queer as Folk back in the day. Which is that when you were watching this, you were thinking, man alive, this is, uh, I've never seen this represented on television before. And this mm-hmm. is the first time, literally since Queer as Folk, that I've watched a TV drama, a British television drama, and thought, man alive, I have never seen that on a British television tra- That way of life, that way of talking, the way these people relate with each other on, on a British television uh, drama. Um, and in this instance, so for example, you know, there's, there's, there's um, a scene where the main character is putting a tampon in. And it's, well, I, uh, don't know, I don't know anything about it. So what I'm is about, it, I'm, what about, is I'm about to, about to get is... into that. I'm about to get into that. All right, that. okay, I'm just but, saying. But you can't <laughs> put the tampon. I'm you can't get into that. Tampon <laughs> well, I can. Well I, well, I can. Well, you can. Well, I can. Um, but, well. uh, and, and so what we're, do, what we're doing is we're just following a, a woman who's living her life. Now, the story is, um, so um, the, the character who Michaela um, Cole plays is a lady called Arabella, who's a burgeoning writer um, who is struggling to hit the deadline for her next book. She decides that she's going to go out with her friends for a night out in London. The following morning, she wakes up. She can't remember what happened to her. She's got some strange bruises, and then she starts getting flashbacks. I did to, you know, just gather the pieces, any of the pieces. So essentially, it's all about her trying to piece what happened to her on that night. So it, it, it's it's clearly um, a story of some form of sexual abuse, but it's a comedy drama thing, and there's lots of layers to it, lots of different characters, lots of subplots. And as I say, it's it's not for me. I'm an old I'm an old man. It's for the young. Um, but it's just the, the the dialogue is 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 absolutely fizzing. The pace of it is super quick, and so far, I just I've, I've been very impressed with it. I'm still struggling to work out what's new about this when it's about a writer now because. It's not as though anybody ever makes programs about writers. Is that what you're saying? No, 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 I'm not saying that. I'm saying it's it's depiction of things like sexual acts, how people talk, is uh, is like nothing I've ever seen on British television before in terms of its she's frankness. A, she's but also, it's not doing it, isn't she? Mm-hmm. She is, yeah. Right. So is that what you're talking about? And it's like about young black people's lives in London or whatever. That, well, it's it's that, not that even so much very that. Alien to you. No, it's not that it feels alien to me, albeit it does, but in the same way that queerest folk felt alien to me. But I just thought, my God, I've never seen people talk about uh, or behave in this way, in, in such a frank and open way, um, without it being a big thing. It's just part of the drama. In the same way with queerest folk, their relationships are just mm-hmm. part of the drama. It's not the point of mm-hmm. the drama. It's part of the drama. So there's this – so she she meets up with this – So. To give you – coming back to the, the whole tampon thing is that the way that they sketch oh, in okay. that her lover – is uh, is actually quite a nice guy. Is that they um, they're about to have sex? It transpires that she's having her period, and he is in no way um, uh, troubled or worried or or repulsed by this. And it's just quite a clever way to 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 build in uh, and create a character. Is is how he reacts to that. And I've just, I just have not seen something like that on 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 British TV. I know almost nothing about this, Jack, other than what you've just told us, which I now obviously know a bit more than I did before. We started I've actually this. forgotten what it's called already. <laughs> it's I called... I May Destroy You. I May Destroy You. It's a great name as well. Thank you. But, yeah. but yeah. What, I, what I can say is that it's kind of all over social media. This Every yeah. time you flick through Twitter, people mm. are talking about it. It's getting a great response. It seems to be, you know, getting out there. Um, I don't know what the viewing figures are or what the audience has been like for it, but it sounds like something that's kind of caught fire. 
Yeah, I mean, it's not for us. We're old men. It's absolutely not for us. But I think you but can we're see aiming something. for the kids here. We're yes, aiming for the it. kids. We are, yeah. Social <laughs> medias. Yeah. On, yes. on the social medias. Can we not say that we're aiming for the kids? Yes. No, <laughs> what it does also say is what we have often talked about in the past, mm. which is people, it will find an audience. Yeah. Mm. You see, it's not for us, yet you've liked it and you're a whole yeah. fart, you know? I am. And, yeah. and you know, if something is good, people yes. will like it who are out yeah. with, it's, as we see in Scotland, it's yeah. um, target audience. Well, I'd say, I'd say there, can I cut in there and say that that might be there for a, another equivalent to Queer as Folk? When Queer yeah. Folk was on, if people remember, uh, you, you, you would expect that, uh, a very glib reading of it, that it's, it was made for a particular demographic, which yes. is sort of uh, what you would now say would be a, a sort of LGBTQ, whatever, uh, mm-hmm. audience. Whereas, of course, it completely transcended that and became yeah. popular with older people, older straight couples, you know, it, it, mm-hmm. I remember when it was on, I was working in a pub and everybody was watching it and talking yeah. about it. Now, yeah. they may have watched, they may have been doing it in a way of a fucking sale. Have you seen what they've been getting up to? They were still watching it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and they were still watching it every week. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it, it kind of reinforces the point that, you know, build it and they'll come. And if it's good, it'll find an audience, which is, of course, it betrays the lie of... Uh, of saying that things have to be made for a, a specific audience. You just make things that are good that they'll find their audience. I was going to say, I remember the impact of Queer as Folk mm-hmm. quite, I mean, now put, you put the names in retrospectively, but as I remember it, literally the first scene of Queer as Folk is that bloke Charlie Hunnan having his, uh, his bum tongued by, um, by the man from... And I remember watching that and thinking, all right, well, you're making a statement right up front. Yeah. Just about <laughs> and what what was the statement? Could, could you hear what he was saying? No? <laughs> it was uh, basically, we're here, we're, we're here, we're queer, get used to it. Why not? Yeah, you know? yeah, absolutely, yeah. And, uh, and I think, you know, the, the BBC is really quite bad, I think, at catering for, for the young, except where, when it's good. And so things like, you know, Fleabag, remember, that, that came from... BBC yeah. Three. This this country is BBC Three, and I would say that those two are also great series as well. So, except you say that's bad for it, mm-hmm. but to be fair, the whole except move is good. Of, of BBC the whole the whole move of BBC Three to the online service mm-hmm. and then putting parts of it on BBC One does seem to have worked quite well. Well, I think so. Yeah, but I suppose what it does mean is we don't see the dross. Yeah, mm. but that's the same with anything in telly, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, the the good stuff finds its audience. The shit stuff doesn't. Yeah, I say the I'd, I'd say I do. I don't want it to be a sort of a bigging up of the BBC, but at the same time, I can't actually recall the last time ITV made a drama that uh, that hit uh, a youth audience squarely mm, on the head. No, no. Yeah, uh, no. because ITV does. I, I mean. The ITV, oh God, and you, you've got to put numbers on them now. ITV two, ITV one, mm-hmm. fuck mm-hmm. knows. ITV one, I suppose, does sort of every now and again make big ticket dramas, doesn't it? It, it, yeah. it sort of does these sort of, uh, but they tend to be trying for church, yeah. a cross demographic kind of thing, you know. Like so, there was that one about everybody winning the lottery, the syndicate thing mm. from a few years ago that was mm-hmm. popular, and then as you say, Broadchurch and all that sort of thing. And they make their, their standard 
uh, nine o'clock dramas that uh, like Vera and things like that, where they're not yeah. aimed at a youth audience. So, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think anybody's. I think it's fair to say, I don't think anybody's particularly good no. at tackling a youth audience, yeah, except true. when they are. Yeah. I guess on ITV One, you've got you've got to sell those Mondeos, yeah. and kids don't buy Mondeos. So you know, people have got to, people have got to sign up to that over fifties insurance, no matter if we've got to so, what <laughs> so, does anybody else fancy having a wee um, kiss with this one then? Mm, yeah, maybe. So, what's, what's quite the uh, the flea bag thing? Is what occurred to me, Jack, when you were talking mm. about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you think do you think it get, it gets made? Things like this can get made now because of flea bag. Yes, and and to me the concern is is that actually you know there's gonna, there's clearly just going to be a run of these which are half an hour mm. comedy dramas written by and starring women, right? And then at some mm. point the commission is going to go, oh, we've done those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that, and, th- and that'll be the end of it, you know. But I mean, there's been some. It's great. There's been uh, Daisy Haggard. She had a thing, didn't she? Um, last yeah, year, I, that, I was that was really that good. was good. That was really good as well, wasn't it? You know, and, and yeah, adore her as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. The other thing I was going to say is that although Martin says it's all over social media, but do you think perhaps the reason that people who are it's not as you say it's not meant for, which is basically mm-hmm. us, mm. uh, might I mean apart from yourself obviously, but, but three out of the four of us have never heard of it, mm-hmm. is because because of the lockdown, we're not in an environment where you hear the chat. That's probably I mean, it's one right. Thing yeah, to be on social yeah. media, but you have yeah. to actually. You have to actually go into social media. It's not something. Yeah. It's not something people shout through your letterbox. Whereas if you're if you're on buses and trains mm-hmm. and lifts, like we yeah. used to do in the old days, and apparently we're going to be doing fine just very soon, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. then you we would we would probably would have heard of it by now. So yes. it, it's maybe not been the best time for it to uh, yeah, yeah. to claim that wider audience. Yeah, because it's not all over my social media, you know, um, because. I'm an old man. I've so, seen I mean, stuff, I'm and I've also seen stuff yeah. on telly about it. Right. But I, did, uh-huh. I remember thinking that it's interesting. Now, you've got me intrigued because you've told me what the hook is about her trying mm. to find out yeah. what happened. When I saw yeah. the clips for it, it uh-huh. just appeared to be a lot of young people dancing in a club in, well, in London, and that's yeah. not for me. So no. so that mm. I hadn't thought there was any more to it. I thought it was like, mm. you know, a young woman's rite of passage with her mates mm. in London sort of thing. And I thought, well, sort fine, of this but... life kind of thing. Aye, absolutely. I hadn't realised that I had quite a thrillery idea at the centre of it. Mm. Yes, yeah. Although it's what's interesting about it is again, you don't. I don't. I don't really know where it's going to go. I mean, I've seen the first four episodes. There's twelve in the series. Well, you're just it's really, a kiss, so yeah. yeah, it's really difficult to know where it's going to go. Well, that's a good thing though. I like that. Again, with Queer as Folk, mm. the thing about Queer as Folk, you, you didn't quite know what shape this was. You didn't know what it was, so you didn't know what kind of drama it was going to be. So you know, it's hard well, to predict. I'd like where the story is going to go. Queer as Folk at- Unlike Queer as Folk, I might have a proper ending. Yeah, he's <laughs> hoping. Yeah, he's hoping. Of course, Queer as Folk was also famous because it was the first insight into Russell T. Davis's love of Doctor Who, wasn't it? Yeah, of course it was, yeah. There was a yes. character in that who loved Doctor Who. Yeah. Yes, was, yeah. <laughs> so we're all going to give it a wee kiss then? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's snog. Uh, uh. Well, thank you, Jack. Moving on, it's Martino Cohagen. Oh, Martin. Yes. What are you kissing just behind your wife's back? Let's hear. What? What am I kissing? Um, well, I think we've been watching recently. Um, I think you mentioned. Oh, we. Lack I see. Of he, knows, he mentions the wife. That's good. 
Yes, go on. That you, met, you mentioned before about uh, getting Apple TV, and I think that possibly might be something you're going to uh, discuss as we go along. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's there's not a huge amount of things on it at the moment. Clearly, they're just building the proposition. So what you what you get, you're like, well, we're going to kind of just consume whatever's here and, and see what it's like. And there's a couple of different series uh, that have made the headlines and some that haven't made so many of the headlines. So one of the ones that we picked out, we thought, well, watch this, give it a go and see what it's like. We've got, you know, we're kind of overdosing on Netflix and all this kind of stuff. And it's a wee series called Home Before Dark. I'm Hildy Lisko. And I'm a reporter. This is for the people who don't believe in you. My dad's a reporter too. You're back in town? Just got in. You two know each other? It's been really nice and quiet around here. This is a warning. Where have you been all day? At the crime scene. Crime scene. When he left, your dad said he would never move back here. How come? You're in 88. The mayor's kid went missing. They never found out what happened to Richie. Is that dad? My best friend. He was taken right in front of me. And it's a, a, a sort of crime drama based on the life of a wee girl called Hilde Lishak, I think is how you pronounce her name. She was from Pennsylvania. And in t- 2014, she started a wee sort of local newspaper newsletter uh, thing um, that she just handed out among her neighbours. You know, she, I think she was eight years of age. Her dad was a journalist for the New York Daily News. And she was in a local police station to follow up a story about a local burglary. And she overheard the police saying that they had to go and attend the scene of a murder. And she took down the details that she had, fired it up on her website, put it on Facebook, and she beat all her professional competitors by several hours to the scoop about this local murder. So all the local news outlets. And she kind of made a name for herself off the back of that. And from that, her story as was... A smart <laughs> as a bit of a smart-ass. <laughs> she, she kind of was, was putting herself out there as a sort of investigate, you know, a kid investigative journalist, which is one of these things that only has ever existed fictionally on television. But given the kind of power of social media and all that, you, you start to see a lot of this sort of stuff now. So Home Before Dark is an Apple TV Plus series, and it kind of loosely dramatises her story. Uh, it sets it in a a kind of Martha's Vineyard type place, sort of upstate New York, Harbour Town kind of thing. And it follows the wee girl while she's attempting to solve a local murder that's kind of collected, you know, connected to a mystery that has spanned decades and her dad's involved in it and all the local law enforcement and everybody knows each other. There's no big stars in it. Um, it's a wee bit corny in places, but it's beautifully shot, really, really beautifully shot. And they do a lot of kind of going backwards and forwards, de-aging people to do the stories set in the past. Um, and, you know, there's there, some of the story beats are just slightly off at times, but it's really well made, and it's got a kind of sense of fun about it as well, that, it, you know, you feel like television that's aimed at a general audience is missing at the moment, you know, that right, just, yes. just make just make mm. things a bit fun, stop making them kind of overly serious and grim, and, uh, you know, just do something that, you know, people can just watch, enjoy, and that's it. You don't need to worry about it. You know, it's. I don't think we're going to be talking about this in years to come as a classic. Although, in saying that, uh, Apple have commissioned a second series, and I think it's been kind of kiboshed because of COVID. So they're waiting on that all finishing up before they can get back into it. Um, and and it's it's just really nicely done, and we're really enjoying it. We've got one episode to watch. I'm looking forward to seeing how the whole thing resolves itself. But it's 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 just really nicely done. I really enjoy it. So is it one story arc across the series and how many episodes and how long are they? 
there's 10 episodes in total. They're about, they're about an hour in length. I think they've got different directors uh, across the series. Um, and there is a there is a, a, a story arc that kicks it off, which is the you know this young girl Hildy. Uh-huh. I think I think the character's about ten. The uh, the wee girl that plays her's eight, age ten. And once that mystery gets solved, it starts unraveling a bigger, deeper mystery. Right. And I guess the only thing you could kind of compare it to is, you know, remembering the... Nancy st- Drew. Nancy Drew. That's, I was just <laughs> going to say Nancy Drew. You're sort of, <laughs> really? Oh, the sort really? of red, red hand gang, you know, all that yeah. sort of stuff. It's, it's, got, it's got that vibe. And, and of course, it uses it, it doesn't... One of the things that's great about it is it doesn't overuse social media. Uh, she, she, you know, you see your product placement for Apple products and things like this as as they as they kind of want to do, but she doesn't overuse social media. You know, her, her her publication that she writes in is a kind of a website that she publishes to. They don't overdo that as something that you actually see. There tends to be a lot of um, characters interacting with each other. It's almost like it, it's set in a kind of bygone age, but there just happens to be computers in it. Uh, and there's a wee bit about video footage and things like that that you know from old CCTV uh, that comes into play as well. But but it's really really well done. I don't you, I, you've maybe seen this film. There was a film out a couple of years ago that I really enjoyed called The Florida Project. Willem Dafoe's in it. Um, no, I'm I'm aware of its reputation though. It's supposed to be very very good. Yeah, it's really good. Well, the wee girl that's the main actress, Brooklyn Prince, her name is, and she was in that. She kind of you know was the was the star of that, and there was a lot of improvisation and things like that. But she practically carries this whole program on her own. There are no other actors in it that you'll recognise. They, they were kind of bit part characters in various other things like Justified or Westworld and things like this. They're not people that you would recognise, and she practically carries the whole thing on her own. She's going to be a big big star. I want to see the police report for Richie Fife. Can someone deal with this? I'm not going away. I can't show you everything, but here's what I got. Are you helping me? I don't like when they pat me on the head either. Young lady, you have no idea what you're getting into. I feel like being called a young lady should be a compliment. That never sounds like it is. So that, for me, is, you know, in the midst of all of this, all of the things we've been watching and recommending and all that, that's the thing that, you know, it, we're saving them as well. So we're not overdosing uh, and watching, yeah. like, five episodes. We're squeezing them mm-hmm. out, you know, one, maybe one, two a week. So we've been watching it for about four or five weeks. And it's just good to watch something like that, something episodic that you just think, right, it's got a nice week in a cliffhanger at the end. We can look forward to the next one, but we're not just going to dive in. And then you have to do that thing of, in a week's time, you have to go, so what happened in the last one? And, you know, and rather than just, there's 10 episodes and we've done them in three days, you know, and, mm. and then you're looking for the next thing you watch. So, so, and as I say about Apple TV, there's not a lot on there at the moment. So you take, you take what they've got, you know, you've paid your money, you, or you got it free with your latest phone or iPad or whatever you bought. You might, you might as well take, take what's there and, and that's one of the ones I think that if you've been watching some of the other stuff get onto that next Lads what do you think? Well I, I, I wanted to ask about um, Apple's strategy I mean you did talk about that mm-hmm. a bit because I, I, I did get a new phone and so I have got an Apple TV subscription and I assume mm-hmm. that what they would do is they would have a couple of real ball breaking big 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 things on there perhaps in the field of documentary which Netflix had done really well and so something like this, I mean, it sounds good, but it doesn't sound like the sort of thing that would drive subscriptions. No. So what, and, and I think, there? I th- well, I think if you take a look at Apple's strategy over the years on things, they've never been the kind of company that just dives in, 
creates something that, you know, especially in terms of the stuff that's extraneous to the products. The, the, so if you take, if you take an example of something like iTunes, mm-hmm. you know, iTunes probably cost Apple an absolute fortune to put together, mm-hmm. you know, the deals that were required to get the record labels on board and all that. They probably made no money off it. But what, mm-hmm. what they were doing was they were selling phones and they were selling iPods and things like that. And, and I think the strategy with this is the same. They're not that interested at the moment. And getting a big Netflix style hit like House of Cards or something like that that just says, mm-hmm. "Oh, I want to get Netflix because it's got House of Cards." They just want, they, they just want to make oh, things. I want to get Netflix. Yeah, that was, that, Netflix. was that your impression of um, Kevin Spacey? <laughs> of who? <laughs> Kevin Spacey. Kevin Spacey. <laughs> No. I do. And I do so, like the finan- I do like the subscription model that you're describing so far, which is we're not going to put anything really worth watching onto it, but you'll nah, get well, it free. So fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> so so you're getting it free at the moment anyway. So you mm-hmm. think, well, I might as well watch this stuff. <laughs> and over the course of t- I saw an, the, the, an advert the other day where they they were advertising they've got Asimov's Foundation coming. Um, and yes, they- yes, that looks exciting. And they've spent a lot of money on a lot of big things. You know, they're in, they're investing in feature films that are starting to come up. They have done a few documentaries. They paid for the Beastie Boys thing to go on, which we talked about in a previous oh, yeah. episode. Go back, yeah. go back and listen. Mm-hmm. So I think I think it's also you're looking at that kind of the the market now has completely changed into services. You know, instead of products and satellite TV and all this sort of stuff, it's you know streaming services or music, you know, streaming services, tele services, Netflix, all this. So I think Apple are just realising this is a place where we could spend our money and mm-hmm. get people interested and in just buying more of our products. So mm-hmm. but I think they, they are they are currently waiting on not waiting, they're currently looking for the next big, big hit, I think, mm-hmm. which will be the thing that says to everybody, you need to get Apple TV Plus. And I think Craig's you know, thing that he's going to talk about will start pointing in that direction for Apple TV Plus. Wow. But yeah, it's I think if you've got it for free, you might as well watch it. Mm-hmm. And if they're sell- if they're selling product and hardware, what are you selling, Martin? I'm just selling uh, an experience. Uh, yeah, that's not what I'm selling. I'm selling papers. papers. I'm selling papers. <laughs> 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 you, yes! even forgot, you even forgot your own fucking catchphrase. Since we're still on the, uh, we're not even finished the first round of three, mm-hmm. we better move on. And Craig, you tell us what your, yes. your wee yes. smoochette is. Don't talk, just kiss, let your tongue fool around. Well, yeah, I mean, picking up on what a lot of what Mark said there, um, we are... Uh, I'm, we're watching at home here on Apple TV+, Plus. although despite having... My wife, having bought a new laptop, we still had to pay for it for a month to get to watch That's it. We probably are something up there, yeah. But it's only like five or a month, and you can get rid of it after a month. So we are watching The Morning Show. This is going to be a new era for The Morning Show. Eight seconds to you. Cue her. Good morning. I'm bringing you some sad and upsetting news. And while I don't know the details of the allegations... She's throwing me under the bus. Mitch Kessler, my co-host and partner of 15 years, was fired today. You! Which is the very glossy um, 
TV, a comedy drama starring Jennifer Aniston and Steve Carell and Reese Witherspoon, which kind of got punted out there, or I don't know what you call it now, dropped, squirted out, whatever, last sort of autumn. And it had quite sniffy reviews when it came out. But we, someone at work had suggested it's quite good and that it's very recognisable in terms of the industry it covers. And so we started watching it, and I, I fucking love it. It's, mm. it. it's funny what you said, Martin. It really picks up on what you said. It feels like a very, particularly for a company that's supposed to be so cutting edge and hip, it's a very glossy mainstream comedy drama. Each episode's about, te- about an hour long. There's 10 of them for the first series. The setup is it takes place on a, a, a the morning show um, program in a American broadcaster. And right at the start of it, this is kind of already broken that the male uh, anchor played by Steve Carell uh, has been disgraced in a Me Too sort of scandal. He's been having inappropriate relations with people at work. And so he's just been punted out. It's It falls to bits in the first episode. Um, and from there... It takes some wild turns, which brings Reese Witherspoon into it. I don't fit the mold. What mold is that? Any mold, really. Your show sucks. Thank you. It's Thank barely you. news. And gets her involved as the co-anchor. That happens quite quickly. And you'd know that from all the adverts for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just tremendous fun. It's the sort of thing that genuinely has you laughing out loud. It's very sweary. It's very funny. It looks beautiful. They've paid it, spent a fortune, and it has a kind of a nicely sort of old-fashioned approach towards, um, you know, the look of it. It is all set in big New York uh, apartments and with lots of rich people in it. And it's really funny because one of the things that I think is quite subversive and brilliant about it is it goes to quite some length to show you what goes on on air Mm. and the sort of shit patter that, that, that they have in it and the items in it. And it's actually, it's satirically very, very funny. And I keep likening it to um, the the most unspeakable program of my lifetime, just about um, Aaron Sorkin's <laughs> The Newsroom, which oh, yeah. I, I fucking hate. There's an episode, there's a scene that, that I always cite as the it's single not, worst the one, scene. It's not the one perhaps on the plane, is it? Oh, yeah. Oh, it's just <laughs> when really smug, annoying actors. Sadly, David Harbour's on the side involved in it, but we like him now. Mm-hmm. In which, it basically, he, he manages to have the man turn to someone, and to the, to the, to the square-jawed um, uh, pilot and say, Captain, my name is Don Kiefer. That's Elliot Hirsch, and that's Sloan Sabbath. We work for Atlantis Cable News, and we wanted you and your first officer and flight attendant crazy lady to be the first ones on this plane to know that our armed forces killed Osama bin Laden for you tonight. You're serious? Yes, sir. And he turns yeah, to his friend. <laughs> yeah, I know, it's amazing. And he turns to his friend and said, I reported the news. I reported the news. And then they look at each other meaningfully. And then like, it, it's so unspeakable. When I first time I saw it, I think I was screaming. Um, and I cannot understand why anyone ever cites the newsroom as a good program. It's so pompous. Mm. It's so up itself. But it also mimics the fact that a lot of, of um, now we all work in a hospital, but 
there is mm. a, a deep, deep pomposity to a lot of news programs and anchors no. and journalists mm. in America in particular. Mm-hmm. They take it very seriously. Mm. Um, so for those of us who work in a hospital looking at it, we see it and it's actually working in an extraordinarily sweary, sort of scratchy arse mm-hmm. environment. It is quite funny. The other thing, of course, that comes across is just how much fucking money they have. Mm. You know, they have an extraordinary amount of money. Um, other standouts in it in terms of the performances, Jack Davenport turns up. That's as Jason, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, as Jennifer Aniston's husband, who she's kind mm-hmm. of half strangely estranged from. He's very funny in it. He's very likable. Mm-hmm. Billy Crudup, who's fantastic, of course. Oh, he's great, isn't he's in. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And Mark Duplass, who plays Mark Chip Black, Charlie Chip Black, who's the sort of executive producer. And um, He's a wonderful actor. If you've never seen it, um, the, the thing that he is absolutely terrific in is the film Creep, which is a found footage type thing about a guy filming a guy in the sort of woods in America who's been sent to find this guy to film with him. He's, he's got a brain tumour and he wants to make a film about himself before his pregnant wife uh, gives birth because he'll be dead before then. And it goes off in massive tangents. And this guy, he wrote, and did, he wrote it, he was partly directed or something, Mark Duplass, who plays Chip, is a brilliant actor. And the programme, it's just great. It's great fun. Sorry, I've got a, just a quick question on one of the cast, which is for, for it. Okay, which is, if Guy Fawkes, why is Reese Witherspoon? <laughs> oh! Still, still fucking doing that. It has to be said, those, those two, those two women at the, at the, at the high of it, Jennifer Aniston and her are both absolutely fantastic. I was never a Friends fan. Um, so I know I like Jennifer Aniston enough. She's really good in this. Mm. She's the sort of queen bee. That, that, that was the thing I was, going to, I was going to ask you about was it, it seems to me it's the perfect vehicle for someone like her. I've, I've seen it all, so I, so I know and I know, I know how it all ends, and it's, it's, a, it's really brilliantly made, as you described. But she, she always struck me as someone that suited more to television than cinema. And in yeah. this, it's almost like the part was perfectly made for her. She's reached that age now where she's kind of past being the, the, the sort of young, beautiful, you know, you know, new wife or girlfriend of some character. And she's perfect for that role because the role itself is about a character who is probably coming to the end of their, their, their functioning life as a presenter of news. And she's yeah. struggling. It's, it's almost like she's struggling to keep up with all of that. But, um, and Reese, Reese Witherspoon, you know, and also I, I, as you say, those early roles are basically as a girlfriend or ditzy woman or both or yeah. wife off. Whereas in this one, she's center stage. Yeah, mm. and Reese and Reese Witherspoon, I'm, I'm, again, I'm not a massive fan of her, but she just seems to hold this. The two of them hold it really well. Yeah. How long are the episodes? Um, around about an hour. I think there's one of them. It's about one hour ten, but they're right. mostly around about pretty much on an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think the problem for I think you're right about her never making a massive impact in films, but of course, as Chris would know because I've watched it with him, I think when your first film is Leprechaun, it's quite hard to <laughs> top that. <laughs> you know, um, try as they will and try as they might, who steals me gold won't live through the night. <laughs> <laughs> what a great film! It is a great <laughs> film. Yeah. So um, I, I can. We can wrap this one up quite quickly, if you like, because we do need to yeah. move on. But, um, yeah, but doing, I, I think it's terrific, and I would recommend it to either of the. There's lots of things that would that would you think would put you off it, but if you embrace them, they're all really, really good. I'm in. I think I'm in. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on.
that's our kisses all done. So we now move on to the cuddle. Which is, like cuddle. I think we have to rattle through these so we've got more yep. time for shouting at the end. Mm-hmm. So yeah. now we rattle, now we go to cuddling. This is something that you love long term. I love you long mm-hmm. time. And the oh. first one to do this, we come back to Mr. Christopher Diamond. I don't really have much equivocation on this because the, my favourite programme, and it has been my favourite programme for about the five years, uh, the, the past five years, I think it's the finest, funniest, most consistently brilliant animation that's ever been made. Wow. <laughs> and I think is uh, is, is the, the programme that I've watched, with exception possibly of Nearest and Dearest, most often in repeat uh, for the last couple of years, is Bob's Burgers. Uh, Bob's Burgers is the most phenomenal television programme that I think has come out of America in the last 30 years. It's... uh, it's animation style, for those of you that don't know it, is is uh, is very different from other. Uh, I mean, there are basically three big animation series, aren't there? There there, there, are, there is The Simpsons, mm-hmm. there's a Family Guy, and kind of there's Bob's Burgers. It, it, although it bubbles down, it's probably the least regarded of all of them for various different reasons. Uh, Family Guy is just a series of punchlines and and shtick mm-hmm. now flashbacks and things that that it's just although I did really used to enjoy it it's become a sort of exercise in, in trying to shock uh, the simpsons is so so far past its imperial phase now <laughs> uh, that it's it's a pale pale shadow of what it used to be it's not really the same program anymore when you consider what it was like when Brad Bird and Conan O'Brien and people like that were working on it Mm-hmm. And now it's just like, where are they going this week? What ridiculous nonsense is going on that's going to reset for next week? And its its animation is very computerised as well. Whereas Bob's Burgers, uh, which is now in its 10th series, uh, has, has, has been great since the very first episode. Every episode impacts on other episodes. For example, there's a there's a fantastic episode with a mechanical shark. Did you guys hear that? Oh, we're gonna need a bigger restaurant. Oh come on, sorry. Uh, that uh, involves the ice cream machine, and like five series later, there are still bite marks in the ice cream machine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there there are episodes that are kind of fantastical. For it, you know, like having a mechanical shark that terrorizes the town. There are other episodes that are just very straightforward, uh, sort of little human dramas that go on between characters. It has never succumbed to having big star guests, although there are star voices, but they are never featured voices. So, you know, they don't do that thing where it's all like Tony Blair's on it this week. So, like, there are, there are multi, multiple voices of characters, usually it has to be said black characters, that are voiced by Jordan Peele, 
uh, the just as an example, uh, the the I'd say the 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 only star voice in it uh, that appears every now and again is Cal is uh, Kevin Klein, who plays Mister Fishoder, <laughs> uh, the owner, the owner of the local Wonder Wharf, but also the sort of landlord for the for the area who drives about in a white golf cart wearing a white suit and cape with he's got a white eye patch. <laughs> uh, he has his and his his younger brother Felix, who's who's played by Zach Galifianakis, who's a sort of uh, strange little version of, of Calvin. I mean, I, I think it would be easy for people on the outside to dismiss it because they say, "Oh, it's just trying to be The Simpsons," because you know there are three kids and they have very definite traits, and the, you know the youngest one's a bit mad, and but the oldest girl Tina is 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 like a teen, a just a persistent teenager in crisis. Uh, mm-hmm. Gene, the middle kid, is because he's eleven, is still totally devoted to his mother, and there's a there's a, and he's and because he's not self he's not got to that age where he's self conscious yet, uh, is you know is doesn't really care what people think of him and does sort of various different outrageous things that you sort of know that when he hits twelve and thirteen, he he'll change a bit. Uh, Linda, the mother, is. Just the most. She's your favourite character, isn't she? Oh, she's so great. Bachelorette party, all right. Going to the strip club, all right. Going to pickles. Boy, am I going to need some quarters tonight? Aha! Quarters. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What what are you going to do with quarters, Lynn? I'll plop them in their g-string. And I find myself flipping through episodes. So what you do is, if if you become a devotee of it, you you get into, and if you have access to all of the programs. You get into a state where you think, I just want to watch lots of epi- of lots of Linda episodes. Mm-hmm. So, for example, you watch Linda Pendant Woman, where she goes and gets a job at the local mm-hmm. uh, sort of uh, Aldi-type store. There's Eat Spray Linda, where she gets, on her birthday, for various different reasons, ends up getting dropped in the middle of the countryside on her birthday and has to struggle to make her way home. And then other times, you want, I want some Gail episodes. Gail is played by Megan Mullally, who's Linda's sister. A uh, crazy sister who who's just a sad cat lady. Uh, the you know there there are I mean obviously I'm not going to waste time going through all of the different characters. There is I have never seen a dud episode. That's uh, quite amazing I mean, obvi- after so long. Obviously, there are episodes that are better than others, uh, but there are just such nice little traits in it. Like for example, there's a character in it called Marshmallow. Who's a basically a local, a, is it a, a black local transsexual who walks about in sort of very little string outfits and appears very rarely. But there's this sort of relationship that he has with Bob that you never really understand <laughs> because whenever he appears, Bob just always says, "Oh hi, Marshmallow." He's like, "Hey, baby," and you're like, "Just <laughs> I think I like it most because it actually gets as close within what is meant to be a daft comedy animation to genuine human dramas. Unlike The Simpsons or or, or Family Guy, they're constantly short of money and it really matters. There are episodes that are just about them being skint and trying to get by, trying to pay the rent, mm. trying to get stuff for their kids at Christmas. You know, I, I, it's... It's an absolutely incredible series. If anybody listening to this has not seen Bob's Burgers, you're missing out on the best program that you will have seen 
probably uh, as I say since certainly this century. Mm. Well, I've seen a few, I've seen a fair few of them with you, Chris, and I've really enjoyed them. Mm. What about the other two? What do you lads think about? Yeah, them? I, I first caught this in America on one of my very many visits over to uh, Walt Disney World. <laughs> uh, round about must have been about two thousand and twelve or two thousand and thirteen, and the episode that caught my attention that, to watch it, and I've seen a few since, but I want to I want to watch more of them. Was the OT, mm-hmm. OT the outside toilet one, which, which is basically oh yeah, but John High, and it's basically like e, the ET story, but it's a, a kind of a high tech toilet that falls off the back of a truck yes. and it talks and all that it's amazing and Sarah Silverman there's yeah. a whole load of people people like Norm Macdonald turn up in it every now and again you know and, mm-hmm. and as you say they never draw attention to the fact that it's a celeb no. that's doing the voice they just happen to be doing the voice you know and, and that's a brilliant episode the, the outside toilet one yeah the, 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 there, are, there are stars there, as I say there are stars who provide voices and Sarah Silverman and her, and her sister provide voices of regular characters but they're never, it's never a focus of an episode, mm-hmm. as yeah. you put it like that. I, I've never seen it, I have to say, um, and I think I need to rectify that. But what is the tone of, of, of Bob's Burgers? So, I mean, because obviously Family Guy is like super brash and The Simpsons is a bit smart. Alec, and I think actually that's maybe the thing that's held me back is that I assume because it's animation, mm. it's either going to be brash or smart alecky. So what is the tone of it? It's actually very homely. Nice. It, it, it does that, it, it achieves that right from the start with theme mm-hmm. music uh-huh. uh, because it, the, the, actually the opening sequence is incredibly clever. It's only about 30 seconds mm-hmm. and it's basically, the, the characters appear, the music is very heavy on sort of a ukulele kind of theme. Uh, it's a kind of warming kind of music sort of, I would say it's not like the Waltons but it's sort of Walton-esque, you know, it's very, it's not zip zap zip zap you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has... Is it Kids from the Grassy Street? Yes, it's a bit like that. Yeah, <laughs> and and what it does is it shows you the 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 restaurant opening and then reopening, and then re reopening because mm-hmm. rats invade it. A telegraph pole drops on it. It catches fire, and there are two regular jokes in the openers. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they're different from the sofa gag because they're not overt. The shop next door. So Bob's Burgers on the right, as you look at it, is always different and usually has a funny title. And when the rats invade, the, a van pulls up with animal exterminators uh, or vermin exterminators and always has a funny name on it. So you get the fact that, okay, it's silly and it's funny, mm. uh, but it's also about a family who have a business that they're trying to make work. So actually, it's, it is, it's, it's, more, it's more homely and it's more of a narrative. Than something like the Simpsons. Sounds good. Yeah, it's all on Amazon as well. I think you can get the whole lot on Amazon. Right? I was going to ask. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. okay, that's good to know. Right, good. Because I need to watch more of that. Although uh, it's the trouble with this podcast is that you always come away thinking there's another eight hundred hours of telly <laughs> yes, to know. watch. But nice one, Chris. That was from the heart. That's the tone yep. we're looking for from the rest mm. of you. Okay. Do not fucking let us down. Right. Jack, yes. for once, More than park your cynicism, park, mm-hmm. park, park your ironic jumpers and right. just fucking tell us something you want to cuddle. <laughs> your cheeks so rosy Like to make you comfy Cozy Okay, so this is um, this is a series that um, the third series ha- has just finished showing on the on BBC One, and I, I quite like the first two, and then something's happened with series three, and now I love it, and I don't really know why. And I think part of the reason I love it is because it's a it's a big series on BBC One, 
and it's 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 so much better than it needs to be. So it's the A word. That, here, here, that, just like that. We split up. Well, it split him up too. He loves you both, but we have changed and moved, and he's had to go with that. Uh, I'm getting married. He's getting married. Staying calm. Good. That's my way of saying I'm not calm. Life doesn't always work out like you planned it. I like you a lot. I know I messed up, but this is going to be okay. I promise. Um, which is written by Peter Bowker. Oh yes. Now I, I know I, I know I know his name, and it was only in uh, preparing for this that I dug around. So he did Blackpool, which I, which was quite an interesting uh, drama. But yeah. the, thing that he, the thing that he did that I absolutely loved from the from the mid nineties was a, a police procedural called Out of the Blue, which was an amazing mm. uh, uh, drama. So yeah. that. that so it's really pleased me to discover that it's him who's behind this. So the A word is that it's based on a, an Israeli series called Yellow Peppers, and it's about how a family cope um, when their young boy is um, diagnosed with autism. So it's all shot and filmed in the Lake District, and there's a lot about the setup and the look of it, which is very much like a Heartland BBC One drama, which is why I say it's so much better than it needs to be. But actually the scripts and the characterizations are so much sharper and nicer, and it does this really clever thing, which is that you like all the characters. All the characters are actually quite funny, um, and the stories are very warm, but they're never warm in a way whereby they compromise the the young boys uh, who's called Joe his autism so he doesn't suddenly find some kind of mystical wisdom which enables him to connect with his his parents mm. uh, but they they always uh, Peter Parker seems to have this uh, really incredible ability to be able to write these lovely heartwarming authentic dramas which have beautiful endings but without compromising the the conditions that he's writing and talking about and Christopher Eccleston I would say gives his best performance in any role since he played Belbra in Cracker. I never thought I could feel this way and I've got to say that it's a bloody hell. I'm shouting again, yes, aren't I? you lost the breathing. When you're letting out the final breath on the note, think what it's like to hold in a fart and then finally relax and let it go. I've never held a fart in my life. Well, maybe you should start. Doesn't it also have Greg McHugh in it? Yes. Um, so he was. Um, so no, he's, right. uh, he's he's in only in a few a episodes pasta. in the most recent series. Cheesy pasta, yeah. Um, and so it's kind of an no, ensemble. He's not posh. He doesn't go cheesy pasta. Cheesy pasta. pasta. He says cheesy pasta because <laughs> it's made <laughs> Edinburgh. All right. Pasta. He talks like that. Do you know the amount? Cheesy pasta. Did you ever see him in fresh meat? By the yes, way, he's brown. <laughs> Did you ever see him in? Did you ever see him in fresh meat? No, I didn't know. Right, the amount of people that told me that, that in fresh meat is like me is oh, really God. quite um, right, okay. upsetting because his character's genuinely weird, but <laughs> no, no. he talks like that, and he's got he's got a big ball head with a, with a beard and glasses. Mm. So over the course of the, <laughs> over the course of the three series, he sort of built it up, to, and so now it's far more an ensemble thing. So although the first two series were very much focused around. Joe and his parents, who are Paul and Alison. Now it's, it's greatly expanded. And so there's a lot more with Morris, who's, who's played by Christopher Eccleston, uh, who's having a relationship with Louise, who's played by Pookie Quinnell. 
He's he's a great actress. I beg your pardon. Yeah, that's her name. Uh, great actress. I think Pookie's actually a nickname. Um, but it's just I don't yeah. know if any of the rest of you have seen it. It's I, I find it difficult no. to no, really nail on what makes it good. It's just it's just a lovely, um, a brilliantly written drama, which is the sort of thing that you would pass by because everything about it makes you think, oh, this is just a standard run of the mill kind of BBC box ticking um, warm drama, and it's not. It's so much better than that. Is there anything wrong with that? No, it's, no. There's nothing wrong with that. But you know, there's this. I, I mean, I think a lot of BBC One um, hour-long dramas are just are really quite boring and not very good. Um, and and so this just absolutely cut through for me because it is good. It's just really well written. That sounds pretty good. I, I had not heard about this at all. And this is a and this is a and this is BBC. Is, that, is, is any of it yeah. brought back up on iPlayer? Can you get the we'll go back and get them all? Well, well, you certainly be able to still see the third series because it it, it was only the other week it finished. Oh, okay. What? Yeah, my wife's a fan of it. I I never um um watched it because I think about you. I just kind of assumed it was a kind of you know disease of the week movie, like a peak practice thing sort of TV thing. TV movie. Uh-huh. Yeah, but you know about an issue. You yeah. Know, but um, but she certainly is a massive fan of it yeah, as well. It's, it's um, lovely. There's a lot of warmth coming across in these programmes. Are we all softening in our middle age? Yeah. Well, wait till we get to avoid I don't know, and, 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 torture. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder if the reason that I'm resistant to these sort of things is because uh, of what you've said, Craig, about, uh, and actually what you've said, Jack, about what, what you expect from these mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. And of late, the, the, the big ticket uh, BBC One drama that had everybody's fucking knickers clacking and uh, was getting all the awards and everything was last tango in Halifax, uh-huh. uh, which I hadn't heard about, and then sudden fucking BAFTAs coming out its ass, mm-hmm. and I tuned into a couple of episodes, and I just couldn't fucking bear it. Yeah, it's really? so it's so twee, mm-hmm. uh, and although everybody in it's great, I mean everything people in that I should love, like you know Derek Jacobi obviously and Anne mm-hmm. Reed and people like that are great, but it's just mm-hmm. like I just cannot be asked with this stuff. And that's, you know, fine, I'm sure, you know, people love it, and that's great, and people can can enjoy it for as long as they like. There's nothing to do with me. But that's what puts me off these sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And then also you have the experience of those sorts of ITV dramas, like yeah. Homes Where the Heart Is and all that, yeah. which are fucking awful. Yeah. Yes. So when you have, as you say, Craig, a, a thing that's... That, that's uh, it's weird, isn't it? Where <laughs> you see something that looks well made and is about a vital issue, you mm. think, "Oh shit, this will be terrible." <laughs> <laughs> is, it, is it my? Uh, am I mistaken in thinking that Sarah Lancashire is in every single one of these programs? <laughs> yes, she's yeah. not in this one, but yes, well, she's, uh, it's part of the. Yeah, she does seem to be now. Yeah, that she's got to be on the. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that sounds fun. Yeah, yep. give that yeah it does. Yeah, that, okay, right, well, let's move on to Martin. Right, thanks, Martin, that was great. So what I'll talk to you about... <laughs> <laughs> Martino, once again, you have the conch. Cuddle up a little closer. So my cuddle, or... It's cuddle, that's bit, isn't it? Yeah, yeah we're cuddling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There will be no reference to the previous and one. We we yeah. deliberately <laughs> took the decision at the start of the lockdown that we wanted some we wanted to be watching something on a fairly regular basis, maybe an episode an evening or one every second evening and in, in between other things, of something that we thought Is it the news? Yeah, well no. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be reading newspapers. 
uh, was, was something that would be long enough to see us through, you know, potentially three or four months. So what we did was we went back onto Netflix and we've been watching every single episode of Star Trek The Next Generation from the very beginning. Star Trek. The next generation is beaming aboard the airwaves. All the wonder, the excitement, the drama of Gene Roddenberry's original space odyssey. Welcome to the Enterprise. With all new adventures from the 24th century. With an all new Enterprise. This is nothing like any vessel I've seen before. And an all new crew. Starfleet veteran Captain Picard. Commander Riker. Executive officer. Chief Medical Officer Crusher. And her brilliant son, Wesley. Lieutenant Commander Data, an android. The telepathic Troy. Security Officer Yar. Geordi. A man with unique vision. And Klingon officer, Worf. Shields and deflectors up, sir. Go to yellow alert. Their continuing mission, to boldly go where no one has gone before. Let's see what's out there. Don't miss the all-new television adventures of Star Trek, The Next Generation. Oh, now, now, I watched, yeah. now I watched this first time round. Nice. Uh, when it started mm-hmm. in yep. 87, 87, 88, something like that. It's, it started, or, or 87 over here, Sam. Yeah, we, uh, round about then. And, uh, and I totally mm-hmm. loved it. No, it was 87. He's just told you Was that. it 87? You know, I'm, I'm fairly <laughs> sure it was 1987. <laughs> Something's telling me it was 1987. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and totally loved it. Barely missed an episode. It's, I, now, I've got a real distinct memory when we were talking about video recorders and all that earlier. Star Trek The Next Generation, you could actually get episodes earlier on... We uh, were talking VHS. about video recorders before we, we... We were talking about video recorders before we started recording. So we were. Yes. So that's yeah. so, you, so, so that's 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 kind of professional. That, so that that's reference. a kind of a meta <laughs> reference there. But yeah, you could you yeah. could actually get episodes. You know, you would get two on one one VHS tape. You could hire them out the store before they appeared on television because uh, the sky, yeah, like sky reunif- like unification, yeah, all that kind of like stuff. Because Sky started buying it up. So if you didn't have Sky, you couldn't get it. You had to wait like about six mm. months before the BBC got it and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So we've been watching all the way through, and and what what you see the first couple of seasons are, are not great by any stretch. You know, they're they're really no. struggling to find mm. their feet. Like, some of the acting isn't great. It's, the sets aren't brilliant, you know, and, and it's direct. You can't tell what direction it's going in. A lot of the episodes are self-contained, very referential to the original Star Trek series without actually referencing it. And what you start seeing over the course of that t- season two, season three, is you start seeing a real evolution in writing terms, and 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 that's when you see the roots of, you know, Star Trek: The Next Generation being the front runner. Definitely in terms of its production model. I mean, bear in mind, this is like 24 episodes a season they were doing, yeah. you know, 45 minute episodes because of breaks in America and all that. You know, they'd four days, five days sometimes to shoot episodes. And bear in mind, mm-hmm. you know, the level of quality before that on US television was things like V, Buck Rogers in the 25th century, Knight Rider or Automan or some shit like that. And they're mm-hmm. fucking brilliant. Yeah, they're good. Some they're really. Like they're really they're Every really high production. One of them. Yeah. V, yeah. Had the, v was the most expensive television yeah, series. Yeah, I know, made. but that's what I'm saying. Yeah. That was the kind of benchmark at the time, and what yeah. and obviously yeah. what the next generation was aiming for was you know it had to try and compete with the original series, and you know it's it's amazing to watch them, especially as you start getting to you know maybe about season two, season three, the quality of the writing just absolutely kicks in. The real turning point is the 
the cliffhanger. Remember when you used to get season cliffhangers on things and you had to mm-hmm. wait like six months before you got the, the next yeah. uh, part of it? Uh, is the best of both worlds, you know, when Picard gets mm. captured yeah. by the Borg and it's that amazing ending with him. I am Locutus of Borg. Resistance is futile. Your life as it has been is over. From this time forward, you will service us. Mr. Worf. Fire. start doing the stuff with the uh, you know they'd mentioned Sarek uh, he comes in in season three the whole storyline mm-hmm. with with uh, Sarek but you get Spock appearing through season five which is the first real sort of mm-hmm. breakthrough of starting to use the the original characters you've got loads of time traveling mm-hmm. stories stories involving John Delancey's character Q which are always great fun great acting from yeah. Patrick Stewart and Brent Spiner I was reading a thing the other day Brent Spiner appeared in every single episode except one so 178 episodes, and he was in every single one of them in wow. some capacity. Wow. And, you know, one of the things I do... I'm, except for one. Except one, yeah. <laughs> uh, so it was almost every episode. Uh, and one of the things... Which one was he not in, uh, He wasn't in... Uh, <laughs> was the, the one was where the Picard family? goes and... Is yes, the right? family one. With the one where Picard goes and visits his family. brother after, after being brought yeah. back from the board. Kind oh, of yeah, thing. visits Jeremy Kenny. I, yes, uh, I, I, I think you'll find the one that he's not in is the episode called... Where's Data? <laughs> Data's not here. And, uh, and what I do after every episode is go on to Memory Alpha, the wiki, and go through and see all the background information, how they wrote it and all that. Ah, and, nice. and I was I was saying to Craig uh, a few days ago, there's a great episode in season six. And even just the premise of it, whenever I set this up, you probably know it if you've watched it. It's They've got a distress signal from a ship that's been missing for 75 years. It's crashed, landed on a massive yes. sphere. They go in. The transporter switching mm-hmm. itself on and off, and they're like, "Oh, there's somebody on the transporter." Oh, they press the button. Look who appears, and who comes out? But Scotty, played by James Doohan, and it is. It, oh, I thought you were going to say, Cam. and it's one of yeah. the. Um, I've seen. That. It's one of the best episodes I've of anything you'll ever see. I've seen the future, and I'm so fat. <laughs> He's got a broken arm as well, <laughs> but it's just great. There's a great moment in the middle. Please enter program. The android at the bar said you could show me my old ship. Let me see it. Insufficient data. Please specify parameters. The Enterprise. Show me the bridge of the Enterprise, you chattering piece of... When he goes into the holodeck and sits on his, you know, the chair and the original Star Trek uh, Enterprise, you know, from the first series, the, 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 the bridge of it. It's just really great. We're midway through season six, so we've got about a <laughs> season and a half to go, and it's just great. It's a terrific programme. And, yeah. and where are you watching it? Uh, it's on Netflix, the whole thing. And so is Deep Space Nine, and so is Voyager. So you can, you know, you can mm. watch them all if you're, you're looking. Don't bother with Voyager. 
No. Uh, but provide, uh, provide a nice contrast on Netflix with Discovery, which is fucking terrible. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. I quite enjoyed Discovery. It's, it's... Oh, the second series of this of Discovery is fucking messy, awful. Yeah. However, that's 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 veering away from cuddle. It yes. is. Yeah, I, cuddle. The, the yeah. Next generation for me. I, I, I remember watching the first episode on BBC Two, and uh, thinking, "Oh, this is this is very you know, it's a bit odd," mm-hmm. uh, because, like you say, it took a while for it to get going, and the production values weren't weren't amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the characters are really good. Yeah. It had an open script policy as well, mm-hmm. so people could send in mm-hmm. scripts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and they could get made, and people created whole backstories for characters that were adopted. Yep. And it, 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 I think Next Generation has a very inclusive feel to mm-hmm. it. You kind of feel mm-hmm. that it's it's taking people who are interested in it and sort of cuddling them to the show. Like you know, it's, it, it doesn't exclude you from it. Like here we are, and you're over there, and you enjoy it. It's like everybody come away in, yeah. which I don't think is true of uh, of very many of the other series, and and it, it certainly it certainly isn't now. And you get whole episodes because of, as you say, Mark, because of the production uh, schedule and the budget, where they couldn't really do anything other than sit about in rooms and talk. Yeah, like Picard so you being tortured have... for, for two episodes or whatever. And the, is it the yeah, chain of yeah, command? Yeah, I mean, there the were... There were that's only the wrong. Lights. That's the wrong way. We're still on cuddle, mate. You can't even talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> so the, you know, so, but the point being that uh, you know, so it stuck true to the sort of Star Trek ethos because they would have debates about the Prime Directive yeah. and what they should do and what they shouldn't do and all that, which has been completely abandoned. Yeah, and you're kind in, of a, uh, you're, you're in, in, in on the joke. Star Trek. You're in on the joke a lot of the time with things, you know. So, for instance, they'll say the last data question, like. Commander Data, how long would it take us to travel to such and such? And he'll say, at warp five, it would take us three hours, 49 minutes, but at warp nine, and, and Picard will just go, that's fine, Mr. Data, and just interrupt him, you know? And you're kind of, a, I know the joke kind of a keeps repeating itself in a way all the way through the pro, all the way through the various programmes. But And it's also good to see the growth <laughs> of them all as well, with the exception of Diana Troy, who's not, who, who was never a great character in the first place. Um, no. but, but they're but they're all great, and it's 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 re- as you say, it's really warm, and it's the reason why I've picked it as my cuddle because it's 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 a warm cuddle yep. during this good time choice. of misery. Good. And it's, it's a great, great choice. It's great yeah. to good relive it all again. Yeah. Okay, I was going to say to me actually, I think the the single best thing they did with Star Trek: Next Generation. Well, the the single best thing actually was casting Patrick Stewart. The second best thing that they did though mm. was the Borg because the way that mm-hmm. they introduced the Borg. So they yeah. they come in in that second series episode, Q Who. Status. It seemed to make a visual survey of the engine course, sir. Then it moved in here. Interesting, isn't it? Not a he, not a she. Not like anything you've ever seen. An enhanced humanoid. What is it you want? It's one of the few sci-fi franchises where when they introduce a new baddie, you do actually think, fucking hell. We mean you no harm. These mm-hmm. guys are absolutely mm. terrifying, and they're never going to be able to beat them. And I can't remember actually. Yeah. Understand you? You're nothing to him. He's not interested in your life form. Believing that in another sci-fi franchise. Yeah, and it took a while for the board the board to come back in, and then they didn't overdo them. There was like the no. um, I Borg episode, and then it was way into mm. um, First Contact and obviously Voyager before you started seeing any more of the Borg again. So they didn't overdo it as well. But the, the... The Borg are the are the Star Trek Daleks. Yeah, really, mm-hmm. aren't they? Nah, it's the same thing, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're the baddies that you're waiting to appear. Yeah. yeah, in a way, they're the Star Trek Cybermen, aren't they? Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a better analogy. I'm going to say to Jack, I'm going to quote Martin Amos when JG Ballard died, and he said, um, "It's SF. Real, real fans don't call it sci-fi." Yes, okay. but, um, <laughs> but I've, got, I've got a terrible admission for you, which is oh, that it, it has completely passed me by. Wow. Um, I remember trying to watch it on a black and white portable when it first came on, and I think because of the stuttering start. I didn't really get into it, and I've never got into it since. So, and, and you know me, I'm a big SF fan. Sci-fi, SF, not sci-fi. Yeah. I'm a big fan mm. of it. I'm a massive genre fan, both mm. books and, and, and... So I do feel it is a bit of a gap for me that I probably should go back to yeah. and... Um, you would enjoy it as well. And try and get into yeah. it. And a good, a, good would, jumping yeah. on, a good jumping on point. Everything you said about it makes me think I would like yeah, this. Yeah, you would be, so you would be cuddling it, definitely. And a good jumping on point, if you're looking for any episode to jump on it, and you don't really need to know anything else, it's the episode Yesterday's Enterprise. The war is going very badly for the Federation, far worse than is generally known. Starfleet Command believes that defeat is inevitable within six months. We may have no choice but to surrender. Saying that all this may be a result of our arrival here? One more ship will make no difference in the here and now. But 22 years ago, one ship could have stopped this war before it started. An enterprise from the past comes through a warp, a kind of warp in time, and it changes the entire, you know, future for the people on the enterprise. Aye, but I think I'm... That sounds good, but I think I will have to start from the start because I just have to. Uh, yeah, you should. Okay. You should start from the start because, if only because, and not to spoil it for you because you've never seen it, when a particular character yes. dies. Mm-hmm. Oh, it, it it was the first time I think in a major series like that because we all talk about Game of Thrones and nobody's safe and all that. Mm-hmm. It was the first time I can think of in a series like that when a major character dies and you are so shocked. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it really makes you think that this series is a lot has got a lot more to it. Absolutely, than, than, yeah. No. The both of you expect, and as Jack said about the uh, the A word, that than it needs to be as well. Yeah. Mm. Did um did Harlan Ellison write for it, or was that later for Babylon Five and things like that? I can never remember who wrote. For yeah, this. I don't think. Did he not write for the original? Did he not write the original? He wrote the famous City on the City on the Edge of Forever. Yeah, but I don't think he ever wrote for. For, for the next generation. He's probably falling out of them. Yeah. Pay me, motherfucker! Fucking pay me, motherfucker! He probably <laughs> said. <laughs> anyway, that's a good cuddle. Cuddle up and be my little clinging vine. Yes. So, Craig, cuddle is cuddle. Cuddle away. My cuddle is um, the BBC comedy staged. <laughs> Coconut water, one bagel, grapes, pizza bread, uh, leftover lasagna, two carrots, feta cheese, and the remains of an Easter egg. Yeah. What, nothing? Just warm up the lasagna. I promised I would cook. You have nothing of culinary value. I have two carrots. Then cook the carrots! You're no help. Which was oh, on interesting. In recently. It was all released. I went between this and, and picking what we do in the shadows, but I thought I'd go with this because uh, it's so unusual. I mean, there's been an awful lot of stuff that has come out under lockdown and ways of TV doing stuff, a lot of which will change it forever, I think. I think people are now used to seeing people on Skype lines and whatnot. 
that that will sort of end a lot of live broadcasting outside units and all that kind of thing. Mm. And it's been a couple of attempts to do things from a dramatic point of view. I think none have worked as well as staged. The setup is very, very simple. David Tennant plays himself. Michael Sheen plays himself. Maybe it would be more interesting if they played each other, but nevertheless. <laughs> um, it's written and directed by a guy called Simon Evans, who I wasn't really aware of before, who also appears in it. And the setup is that they have been, they were about to go into rehearsing um, Dario Fo's six characters in search of an author, or I think it's Dario Fo wrote it, wasn't it? Oh, it's not. And it's, it's, it's obviously. No, or am I wrong? Characters in search of an author. I don't. It, it might, but I think it's a Dario. It, it might no, have been accidental death. I think it was a Dario four that we're going to do anyway. Right, okay. Um, and they have obviously that's fallen apart. Mm. They're all sitting at home, and their home lives come into it as well. So with David Tennant, he's married to Georgia Tennant, of course, who is Peter Davison's daughter. So she's in it, and as reference to their kids, it's all filmed in their house. Don't like their their, their decor, to be honest with you. Whereas Michael Sheen, of course, is now in a, a relationship with a much younger woman who just had a baby to him. Oh. Anna Lund, who's an actress from Sweden, who's very, very funny, as is Georgia Tennant. And he's living in his cottage near Port Talbot in, in, um, in Wales. He's got a big beard and massive hair, which amused my family because I do at the moment. And, <laughs> um, and it's about the ping-ponging between them. And if you haven't seen it, there are a couple of absolutely cracking. Uh, each one is 15 minutes long, so you can watch the whole thing in 90 minutes. Sweet. And there's a couple of um, terrific big, big name cameos that appear in it. Over the course of the of the six episodes, and it's about the sort of it's about being an actor. It's about the um, the sort of them being you know uh, the kind of petty rivalries and jealousies and um, <laughs> the things that they're sort of winding each other up by the competitiveness between them. Anna's got me painting. Oh, she there with you? Yeah, she is. We were up early this morning to capture the dawn. Well, our family all sketched pineapples yesterday. Mm. How'd you get on? I'll show you mine if you show me yours. Seems bad. Huh? One second. Very good. Yeah? And yours? You did that? Yeah, just this morning. Fuck off! And there's lots of really nice jokes about the inter- interstitial titles and the names on them and all that that pick up on jokes from it. And it builds... What, what I think is amazing about it is a few people said to me, yeah, right, only the BBC could make something like that and it's got a huge list, but of co- a huge list of credits on it. But of course, it's actually been done brilliantly well. So you know they've, they've graded it properly so that all the cameras fit against one another. It's beautifully edited and... Um, the pace of it picks up or slows down to bunch each episode to what they need to do sort of narratively and there's a sort of narrative arc through it. It's so good. And Tennant, I you know, I've always liked David Tennant. I wasn't particularly keen on him as a doctor, but I like him enough. He comes across brilliantly. Michael Sheen, who I think the whole world adores, comes across brilliantly, as do their partners and everyone around them. And it's it could be everything about it could be excruciating and it could be really up its own arse. It never is because it's genuinely brilliantly funny and beautifully pulled off. I am going to cuddle this one. Is it improvised? Is it, is it improv or not to a degree? Do you know? I I would be interested to know to what extent some of it is because it's clearly scripted in terms of the narrative and where mm-hmm. they're going with it. Mm-hmm. But there are bits of it when they both start when they make each other laugh, and they're clearly sort of getting to each other. You know, I mean, there's a sort of a bit of comedy like we're doing here, needling going on and whatnot. 
And I think at bits, they've definitely improvised bits of it. You know, Sheen particularly is very good at going into voices and whatnot, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and, and there's a lot of great stuff about one-upmanship, you know, about when they were making a film together or when mm-hmm. I was working with Tim Burton and things like that, you know. Right. <laughs> so many, how many parts of uh, are there, Craig? Sorry, I don't know. Six parts, and they're 15 minutes each. So right, you can doze in and out of them quite easily, put them in between things, or just sit down and watch them. I might actually, having watched them over a couple of nights, because it's interesting what Martin was saying earlier, but you know, we've talked about this before. I often have a real fucking memory gap when I binge things, like, the program mm. Fringe, I literally remember fuck all about it other yes, than yeah. the great Jared Harris being in it. <laughs> uh, there are things that I don't remember because you've just binged them. Yeah. Whereas I'm trying now to sort of, you know, watch things, eke them out a little bit, like Martin was saying. Yeah. With this, we eked it out over it. Well, we watched it together, then we actually got my son down the next day. He said, you need to watch these first because you'll really like it. And he watched the rest with us. But I think I would like to now watch it as a 90-minute run-through as well and see how that works. Mm. Yeah, well, I'm so definitely going to watch that. Great. That sounds absolutely amazing. Yeah, yeah definitely good. So that's all the cuddles. Right, so the final category is, of course, torture. It's never been anything other than torture. Torture <laughs> it is. This is the thing that is a torture to you, and you'd mm. probably want to pick someone involved in it and torture them. As per usual, my friend, Mr. Christopher Diamond, you have the floor. Well, uh, I mean, <laughs> so much to choose from. So much of modern life annoys me. But uh, <laughs> since we have to zero in on something... Uh, that we've watched uh, that has proven to be torture. And I think it's worth saying that it probably shouldn't be something that we expect should have been tortuous, because otherwise, why would we have watched it? But uh, for this, oh my God, it has to be Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. It's an instinct. together we're not alone good people will fight if we lead them people keep telling me they know me no one does to god it stinks on ice and you know we we did we went to see it before christmas so you know we did a thing where we, we saw it a couple of times go and see it when it comes out go and see it again and you know with another group of friends uh and we come to a point where you know last jedi i i kind of am a bit kinder on last jedi than a lot of people yeah, i don't think too. it's great yeah. but it's not it's not terrible there's things in it that are that sort of 
I'd rather hadn't happened or should have happened in a different way. But, I'll, you know, I can watch it. It's fine. Uh, Force Awakens, I really enjoyed. I thought it was very good. Very good start to it. Solo and Rogue One, I think, are both fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so we kind of got to, yeah, I kind of got to a point where I thought that at least there was a base of where they couldn't go below it because at the very least it would be acceptable that it would look good and make sense to itself. And even if I didn't think it turned out the best way it could, it would still be okay. It wouldn't be as bad as the prequels, for example. And Rise of Skywalker is not just a bad Star Wars film. It is a terrible, terrible film. Now, uh, when we went to see it, <laughs> and it did, and for whatever, no matter what anybody says, it did exactly the same thing as Phantom Menace. Uh, we talked a wee bit recently about going to see Phantom Menace at the start. And do you remember when yeah. the title crawl began? Mm-hmm. And it said, War! Uh, war! Exclamation mark. And everybody went, oh, what's a good one? <laughs> and then this one, <laughs> this one started with, The Dead Speak! Exclamation oh, mark. God. And it just immediately turned to the person next to me and said, well, no, they don't. Yeah. It's just fucking nonsense. <laughs> and then there's a... And, and, absolutely out of the blue. Uh, you know, the Emperor's back. It's never properly explained yeah. why he's back. Snoke lives with his pals in a jar. You have no <laughs> fucking clue where he came from. Snoke in a jar. You know, uh, there's, there's endless, <laughs> endless fucking scenes and locations. Uh, and what's, what's galling about it is some of them are actually really good when they go to the planet where they're having the sort of you know, festival dance thing, and everybody's doing the real line dance, sort of, sort of a uh, you know intergalactic slosh kind of thing. It, you know, looks really good and could have been great. And you think if they had just done, you know, a sort of like Jedi did, where the first half of the film is there, and then the second half of the film is bringing it to a conclusion, but it's just tossed off. Then you're in a fucking ship. Whose ship is it? It's this person's ship. Here's a big giant fuck off snake. Oh, actually, it's not that bad a snake. Oh, give that a cuddle. Actually, it's it's fine now. And there's a dagger. <laughs> Here's, this dagger's going to tell you where, you know, it's this mythical dagger that's going to tell you where something is buried on the Death Star. They only get oh, blown yeah. up a few years ago. How fucking and mythical can the dagger be? smithereens that get blown into it. Then, I saw it. And then... It then points you to a direction of a place that's in the middle of a fucking raging torrent that is obviously going to move about. And then it just turns out that it's in a cupboard in the control, the Emperor's fucking wee control room. Where else was it going to be? For fuck's sake. (laughs) (laughs) And then it was like, here's another planet. And then here's poor uh, dead uh, uh, Carrie Fisher being uh, keyed in to scenes that have clearly fucked up the continuity that they were thinking of so they can get her in. Ray, never be afraid of who you are. Uh, because God love her, she passed away between Last Jedi and and the uh, and Rise of Skywalker. And then suddenly she's training Ray to be a Jedi. She's not a fucking Jedi. Yeah. And then you know, and then there are there are uh, oh, just it just goes fucking on and on. Where the, who are the fucking First Order? It's never explained. Why is it that... Uh, the, the, the greatest opportunity in amongst all of this is you could have had a really interesting setup where people who were rebels 
are now the sort of government and the people who are the baddies are now the rebels. And you could have had a really interesting little role reversal. Fuck all that. They're just the baddies. There was a central government. It gets blown up in the first 10 minutes of the first fucking film. So, but is that it? Was the entire fucking central government of the galaxy just in that building? And there's nothing anywhere else? <laughs> well, they were hiding under a big ice sheet or something, were they not? For like then you 40 go, years. Then you go to this... Uh, we have to get well, to this yeah. planet where there is an, an uh, there are all these people are they clones are, are you know are, uh, oh it just goes on and fucking on yeah there's a whole sequence in a in a planet which actually looks really good you know this little sort of villagey town kind of thing that means that uh, they introduced a little Shirley Henderson voice character which could have been a great character uh, and they have that really nice moment that's in the trailer with the uh, C-3PO, I just, oh, I just, man, one last look at my friends. What, uh, what are you doing there, 3PO? Taking one last look, sir. At my friends. Turns out that doesn't matter at all. R2-D2 no, just comes, comes along, gives him a dunt, and he's fine. Uh, yeah. That means nothing. And then... As does, uh, as does... Chewbacca's dead mm-hmm. at one point as well. Which oh, yeah. Chewbacca's yeah. dead. No, he's not. Yeah. Chewbacca's dead. No, he's not dead. He's, yes. He gets taken away because because of something that I don't quite understand. And then Ray and Kylo have a sort of tussle with a ship in the middle of the air. I hear like, I fucking seriously. And then the the moment that it builds to that you're, I think you're supposed to punch the air is when uh, Kylo, Ben, uh, you know, Adam Driver appears at the end and decides to fight for Ray and takes on all the mm-hmm. bodies. And it just doesn't mean anything. Because yeah. there's, there's no, no idea je- there's no why. Yeah. Is, the, is the Emperor the Emperor? Or is he somebody, is he a clone? Or is he not the Emperor? If he's a clone, why is he all fucked up? Because the point of a clone is you have a new one. It just it's incredibly insulting that they don't even try to explain any of that. They just, yeah. And it was no reveal, he just turns up right at the beginning. And then it turns out that General Hux is a fucking spy. <laughs> and instead of, and, and I thought, oh, this could be quite good because, you know, he reveals himself to them as a spy. And I thought, oh, this would be quite good. He'll take them with them. And there'll be all sorts mm-hmm. of hijinks, fish out. Like, no, just a fucking Richard E. Grant just shoots him. Richard E. Grant's yeah. character, no fucking clue where he came from, from the previous two films. <laughs> um, then they have to go to this ice planet where there's got millions of fucking ships on it, which they've built. Why have they built them under the ice? <laughs> Why don't they just build them above the ice? Wow. And then they have to be guided out by this What's also under the ice? Is it like an empty space? Or is there ice all around them? It's burgers burgers and peas and chips and things like that that you can't (laughs) get out. (laughs) Then they have to get this this beacon thing. We've got to destroy the beacon because that means that they can't escape from the planet. Well, they go into the planet. Yeah. And I guarantee you, if they head out the way, they'll make it. If you head away from a planet, you'll fucking make it some eventually. And there's 10,000 of them. Ugh. I kind of think... Uh, Chris, you've missed, the, you've, you've, you've missed the very final bit as well. The, the very final bit when she goes to Tatooine. And you... uh, yeah, that was the bit that I thought was the only thing that was enjoyable. But then yeah. you actually spoiled it by pointing out something... <laughs> That's actually very sensible, so carry yeah, on, the, the, You think to yourself, how would she have known to go there and do what she did and go to where Luke Skywalker was mm. brought up 
the only way she would know is if she had watched Star Wars. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, then she, and, and the other thing is, you see, you see the you see the Force ghosts at the end, and you think, I, does that Uncle Owen and Aunt Rude just are they just fuck them? <laughs> the fact that they brought yeah. you up, it just boils to them. They don't get a look in. And Obi Wan Kenobi it, was oh, just living just... round the corner the whole time. And I then, uh, anyway, the, I kind of feel that uh, it, it staggers me that they didn't have, like the Marvel films clearly do, in a very successful way. Now, no matter what you think of all the different Marvel films, how successful or not they are in their execution, they're clearly following a very set pattern. Oh, yeah. They say, an internal they logic. say to the directors, you can do what you like with the characters to an extent. You can do what you like with the characters and the story. You have to hit these beats because we're building to a certain point. Yeah, it does. It seems that in these films they've completely abandoned that. Force yeah. Awakens is basically Star Wars, the Star Wars again, and that's fine. I'm not bitching about that. You know, a lot of people hadn't, a lot of kids hadn't seen it before, and they get it, see it all snazzy. And I like Force Awakens. Then they come mm -hmm. along with the Last Jedi, and Ryan Johnson, who directed that, has made it seems on the face of it, certain decisions that he wants to, he wanted to, to do. But somehow they've decided to retcon a lot of those. Uh, it's difficult, for example, to see that all of the fuss they made about trying to get Luke Skywalker back, what possible difference would it have made if they brought him back? Absolutely mm. none. Uh, and so you get a feeling that by the time they got to the end of Last Jedi, they just thought, what is it we're going to do here? What do we need to get in? And they've just slapped it all in. And it, what it does for me is it finally proves that the the maxim that J.J. Abrams, he's just not all that. I think in years to come... Yeah, I, I think I, that's probably true. I think in years to come, we're probably going to find that there was a massive fallout or something during this, and they couldn't back away from having ditched Colin Trevorrow and got JJ in because of what he delivered with um, The Force Awakens. I think you're going to find that there's been some big fight. He's had to take on stuff and they were writing shit as they were going along. And, and you can clearly see that with the Princess Leia stuff. that They're, they're just shoehorning stuff in there out of nostalgia. You kind of get yeah. the sense that, uh, that JJ Abrams was doing that kind of lost thing where it just you know, it's like, well, we're not entirely... What we'll do is we'll not decide where it's going. We'll just see where it takes us. Mm -hmm. It's not fucking good enough. It wasn't good enough in Lost. Never mind in a film. It's pretty difficult when you've got all that backstory to get into it and to deal with as well. Now, I like his Star Trek films. They're very, very far away from the mm. Prime Directive. I understand that. But they're mm. great mm. fun. They're big, they're big daft adventures. And the clever thing he did was shearing off into a separate universe early on mm. because then he could just do anything that he yeah. wanted to mm -hmm. and that was fine. But when you watch them, particularly Into Darkness, which is great fun, it's a tremendously yeah. fun film. It is a yeah. film of great moments rather than a great film. Mm. So the opening yeah. is fantastic and that wonderful bit when you have them flying away and, and the camera goes over the top of it and it comes from the, the drawing to the actual enterprise sure. going through the start oh he is great yeah, at those moments mm -hmm. yeah but yeah since he had abandoned a lot of the, the the whole mythos of it he was able to just have fun with this one it's there's just too much weight the weight of the universe hangs too heavily mm -hmm. on him and 
you know, with to an extent, you're right. He resets it in Force Awakens, uh, getting Ray in and taking it through her story. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But by the time the third one came along, absolutely, you're trying to, and, and it's just crazy that they let Ryan Johnson, who's a very talented guy, go quite as far as he did in it. It just didn't work. Yeah. One of the very disappointing things in it is that uh, I know a lot of people didn't like this, but the whole thing that they, they pulled out of their ass in Last Jedi. Do you want to know the truth about your parents? Or have you always known? You just hidden it away. You know the truth. Say it. Say it. They were nobody. They were filthy junk traders who sold you off for drinking money. Now that's actually quite a that's that's a really bold move. It was. I think that's really imaginative. Mm-hmm. You're just you're force sensitive, but you don't fit into this universe. And we're trying to get away from the idea that everybody's a fucking pal or they're related mm-hmm. to each other. Yeah. And clearly, they just shit themselves from that. And so, who do they decide <laughs> yeah. that she's related to? <laughs> the fucking emperor. Long have I waited. my grandchild to come home. Where's her dad? And they say, oh, your, 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 parent, your parents were, uh, you know, the emperor killed your parents, I think. I'm not entirely sure. Where the fuck did that come from? Yeah, Where did the parents absolutely. go? It's, it's, a, it's an absolute <laughs> shambles. Why was Palpatine so excited by Vader and his son? If Palpatine was such a, a powerful Jedi, mm. Surely his son would have been a powerful Jedi yeah. and could have been brought up to be his heir to the Empire. And and that yeah. does annoy me a lot because one of the thrilling things about The Last Jedi is not just the thing about Rey, but the final scene with the wee kid putting his hand yeah, out. Yeah, it opens and, up. Uh, yeah. And uh, the brush yeah. jump. You thought, oh, brilliant. There are people like that all through yeah. that universe. But no. So, they, just so it, likely they can come from anywhere. They can come from any background. It doesn't matter. Anybody can be a Jedi. They can, as long as they get the opportunity to get trained and focused, and that's what Ray is. No, no bollocks to that. And as you say, Craig, what you they could have developed another thing where they say, like the reason here's the big reveal: the reason the Emperor is so interested in Vader is because his son didn't want anything to do with it and yeah. fucked off or whatever. So he had to go and find somebody else. No bollocks to that. Uh, and as I've said to you, one of the major failings of the of these films is. They never demonstrate what the problem with the Empire is. They never no, actually show yeah. you what's so fucking bad about the Empire. Yeah. Now, okay, yeah. at the very start of Force Awakens, they, they shoot everybody, the, 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 the stormtroopers shoot everybody in the village, which is pretty pretty awful. But for the rest of it, it's the, the, the Emperor's sole purpose is a change of government. And yeah. why does that require... Space magic. It just requires, <laughs> like it did actually in the prequels, it just requires some deft politicking. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> but that so wasn't very interesting there are, there to watch. Are, there are so many, there are so many fears now. Why it's torture? Because there are bad films. There are plenty of bad films. Uh, but the reason it's torture is because had it been a successful Star Wars film, had it been Rogue One, which as Jack says, is a 
really successful Star Wars yeah, film, film, which I've watched loads. I've watched that a lot during the lockdown. Yeah, as I have watched Solo because I'm a big fan of Solo as well. I I would normally have been watching something like Rise of Skywalker on like a weekly basis during yeah. the lockdown. I it would have been comforting. It would have been enjoyable. It would have been escapism. I would have been grateful for it, and I would have been satisfied that the legacy of all of the films had paid off. And instead, uh, it it actually just pisses me off. And I'm not one yeah. of those people that's like George Lucas ruined my childhood. J.J. Abrams has not ruined Star Wars for me because I can still go and watch Empire Strikes Back if I want to. Yeah, uh, absolutely. It's it's just it's just really really fucking disappointing and nobody with that much power and authority and money and access and backstory should ever be able to make a film as bad as Rise of Skywalker. Jack, you're very quiet. What do you oh, think? Wow. Well, I don't have strong... I, I just don't have strong opinions on the Star Wars canon. I mean, you know, I, I saw it at the cinema and it was sort of the plot did seem as if it had been um, cut up from a newspaper and, and sort of thrown on the ground and they'd assemble it that way. Um, mm. and, and it is just very weird. The whole the whole quest mechanic feels like someone came up with that at the last minute to get you from A to B to C, and then it doesn't really amount to much. And mm. it spends a lot of its time just trying to to um, uh, to rewrite what happened in the previous film. So, it, it, so in that respect, yeah. it's it's a bit of a shambles. And J.J. Abrams obviously felt that he had to do this. And actually, the the braver thing would just have been would just have said, you know what? Okay, let's just take what Ryan's done and just work with that. And I'm clever yeah. enough, and I've got the access to enough talent to make it work. And instead, as Jack Newtsy, you've said, they've retconned it, they've fucked about with it, they've slapped it all together. Somewhere there's like a seven hour Star Wars film where some of it makes sense. <laughs> there's Dennis Lawson for five fucking seconds. A guy who said so he never long. wanted to be back in Star Wars ever again, but clearly they wrote him a big enough exactly. check, you know? Right, well, hey, sorry, Craig. Um, I was going to say, that what, why I think it's torture is that I remember us coming out of that. I mean, we, we've, we've seen all this run as a group together. Martin hasn't because he always yeah. had to be swimming somewhere. Mm -hmm. But um, the, um, you know, Force Awakens, we absolutely loved. We absolutely loved Rogue One, sort of, I yeah. think, across us. Last Jedi, I remember our friend Alan from the start was mm -hmm. very, very sniffy with. Uh, mm -hmm. He was not happy with the way they'd taken it. But you and I were much more sort of, you know, um, yeah. kind of okay about it. We all liked Solo against the odds. Mm -hmm. And when we came out of this one, there was a sense of us, I think, trying to make the best of it. So, oh, no, I liked the second half. I remember seeing that myself. The second half mm. I thought was great fun. But this is the only one of them that I've not seen more than once at the cinema. Yeah. And yeah. actually, I put it on when it became on release of a home a couple of weeks ago, and I turned it off after about 20 minutes. I thought, yeah. I can't be bothered yeah. with mm -hmm. this. And, no, it's, you know, it's Rogue One and, and Solo list. have have rogues and they have interesting people and mm. they, they have heists and, you know, it's one's a war film, one's a heist movie. And yep. that's great fun, but this is just fucking terrible. Yeah, We're better move on, I guess. Yeah, let's move yeah. on. Yep. Right. On we go. Chris, that was the last word on Wow, that Jesus. So, <laughs> Jack, what's, uh -huh. your, what's your torture, big guy? Well, you see that you know Chris was clearly quite irate um, 
by Star Wars. My my overriding sentiment, my pick is actually just a bit of disappointment. And I was doing some totting up there um, to discover that I think actually the last time I saw this thing was in 1991, right? So I'm talking about oh, the, the Doctor Who story, The Mask of Mandragora. We've landed on Earth. Late 15th century. Not a very pleasant time. Sir? Sir? What is your name? Uh, doctor. So, one of the things that I, I treated myself to in lockdown was to buy um, the recently released uh, box set Blu-rays of Series 14 of Doctor Who. So we're talking here, we're, we're deep in... We're deep into the heartland of peak Doctor Who. It's a Tom Baker era, uh, Liz Layden. And um, so I'm very much looking forward to that. Whacked on the Mask of Mandragora, which is the first story in this, the season, and discovered, to my horror, that um, contrary to my recollection of it, it's actually just really boring. Um, and um, uh, it's, it's, it's really boring. There's, there's not much in the way of an interesting plot, uh, Tom Baker's quite winning in it, and you know he has a few nice little bits and pieces um, uh, uh, where he's he's obviously in the rehearsal room. Said, "Well, uh, do you mind, darling, if I if I do this when the, when uh, this person comes at me?" But apart from that, there's just not an awful lot to commend it. There's there's a, a, a fixation around a not very interesting religious cult, and there's various sorts of um, shenanigans that are ongoing um, in uh, Renaissance Italy, and. It just it just doesn't really amount to much, and I have to say, gentlemen, I watched the first two episodes, and then I've not been back since. <laughs> wow, that takes a lot for Oof. you to do that. You're not is, a proper is, is fan. A, is it a monster? No, absolutely. no. Well, I am because is I. Is it a monster in this one? Uh, there's the Mandragora Helix, um, so um, which is a sort of monster. No, you see, the thing is, I am a proper fan because I was thinking about this, right? <laughs> and proper fans just slag off, slag off Doctor Who, don't they? So, so you're not a proper Doctor Who fan, yeah. Yes, I'm a proper yeah. doctor. And so it, when you say there is a kind of monster, mm. is it a monster or isn't it? Well, it's like a kind of electric um, energy thing that um, uh, takes people over. Ah. Yeah, so that, that's, that's what you've what got. What year was this one out in? Yeah, so it was 1976. Um, so it's written by... Um, it's written I don't by, remember the story. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, it looks pretty nice. Uh, I think they filmed it in Port Merion, actually. Um um, which, did, yes, which, yeah. which stood in for 15th century Italy, so it looks lovely. Um, and but I think the direction's a bit flat. It's written by Louis Marx, who's certainly not a, a top tier Doctor Who writer. But you know, it's still you, but mm. you're thinking we've got uh, we've got Liz Sladen, right? We've got Tom Baker, we've got Tim Pickett Smith, mm -hmm. we've got Robert Holmes, we've got Philip yep. Hinchcliffe, we've got Dudley Simpson, yep. and it's just not very good. It's just a bit. It's just boring. Yeah. It's, you know, because some Doctor Who's just entertaining because it isn't very well realised, but it's sort of quite fun and it has an interesting angle to it. This just doesn't really have any of those. And is it so, not like so four there we parts? Go. Did, you, did, you say, did you say you've only watched the first two again, Jack, and is it not four parts? It's a four-parter, yeah. And so I got to the end of part Jeez, oh. two and I just jumped onto the extras, I have to say. And the extras are, 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 are fantastic, of course. So there's Tom Baker watching it, which what's not to love. But, um, uh, yeah. I, uh, it was disappointing, but I remember getting this. Is it this. held in any regard? Yeah, I mean, well, it is, but I think it's because it's surrounded by brilliance. You know, uh, it's it, like I say, yeah. we're at the we're mm. at the we're at the high watermark of Doctor Who. The story before it is the Seeds of Doom, which is one of the best um, yeah, Doctor Who stories of all time. The, it's on my shelf, just yeah. across right. from me here. The story that follows it is the Hand of Fear, which is the last Sarah Jane Smith story, and then yeah. you're into mm. the Deadly Assassin, uh, and then we're into yep. Leela territory. Yep. So I think it's I think it's one of those ones that has sort of slightly managed to slip. 
because of its mm-hmm. because of the company it keeps. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Prop, props to the box sets, though. Those box sets are incredible. Oh, they are beautiful, aren't they? They're a yeah. thing of beauty. Yeah, they are absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. Some, yeah, yeah, I might need to. Uh, I might need to get on yeah. and start buying some of them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah because they 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 are. Ru- they are rocketing in price. Yes. Once the, uh, oh, are once they, the yeah, because yeah, they're, limi- yeah. they're a limited edition. So, oh, fuck yeah. that, then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've got loads of them on DVD anyway. But do you know what I think? So thinking back to why I, there's such a massive discrepancy between what I thought of it when I last saw it and now, I think, you know, back in the early 90s, mm-hmm. it was still a novelty to be able to get these things on, on VHS. Yeah, and and yeah. just generally speaking, there's so much, for me personally, there's so much to love about Doctor Who and Doctor Who at that time that you're you're carried along with just seeing Tom Baker, just yeah. seeing the Slade, just seeing that amazing title sequence because that that the the Tom Baker title sequence is well, the greatest title sequence of all time. Yeah, the greatest, yeah. How did you guys? Because see, Martin and I are old enough that we saw these when they were some of these when they were first mm-hmm, on, mm-hmm, yeah. some of the the great Baker ones. Yeah. How did you and Chris? When did you first see these ones? Because you've been a bit too young to see them when they were first on. So was it that nineteen ninety one showing, or was it? On no, video? no, it was on oh, video. No, there, there were a there were a num there were a number of. Well, I would have I wouldn't have seen them on video, but there were a number of uh, uh, not this particular story, but there were a number of strands. Throughout the eighties, yeah. where they showed stories yeah. and stories, for example, around uh, the five doctors. The be- before that, they showed stories. Aye, there was the, yeah. there was the talking anorak in the late eighties, early nineties. You know, there were there were various different sort of retrospectives. So I would have I, I, that's where I saw that's where I saw them until I started picking up them, picking them up. I should say on uh, on VHS in the nineties. Well, I've got a lot of fondness for that them re-showing them in the early 90s because I was a student at the time mm-hmm. and and I think I'd see, I'd read the book of the Sea Devils and I'd seen it once in the 80s mm-hmm. and they showed that again. I remember just loving seeing that again in that run. So, But for a lot, a lot of those ones, for me, quite a lot of them were the first time I'd seen them since they'd been originally on, the Tom Baker ones, particularly. Well, not, not, not the Sea Devils. And that was a nice, nice period in the early 90s of watching them. Well, my earliest memory actually is watching these when they went out, and actually my my very earliest memory is of The Deadly Assassin. Um, So I was three at the time, and I didn't realise it was until I read the novelisation when I was at school, and suddenly I got a flashback. Uh, when I read the passage where the doctor's in the Matrix and he gets his foot stuck in the railway line, and I suddenly had a flashback there and then reading it, going, "Fuck! I remember seeing. I remember having nightmares about this." <laughs> so, so yeah, yeah it's so, a great scene. That. So I did watch those. At it's the time. funny the memories. I think Doctor Who is very good for specific memories. Mm. So I remember a lot of the time, like the, the, a lot of the, the, the high peak Tom Baker ones from when they were on watching them very much Saturday night. But I remember also when in the 20th anniversary, when they showed The Unearthly Child for the they first did, time, yeah, I think, since yeah. it had been shown. And also a friend of my mum's, Mrs. Mullen, her name was, worked in the brilliant Edinburgh bookshop in George Street in Edinburgh. Do you remember that one, Jack? Uh, and yeah. I bumped into her one day when I was in town, when I was like 12 with my mate. Mm-hmm. 
And she said, well, why don't, you, why don't I get you a... Because you know I liked books. She said, why don't I get you a book? And I went up to the children's section and they had just published Terence Dixie's book of it for the first time. Oh, yes. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and, and, I, and I picked that mm-hmm. as, my, as my choice of book that Good she man. gave me that day. Good man. Anyway, this yeah. is all very positive for torture. Mm-hmm. Ah, yeah, no, no. <laughs> no. Avoid, yeah, yeah, avoid, yeah, avoid. Yeah. Avoid Tom that Trump. one. Shame. Avoid the, the Mask okay. of Mandragora. Martin. Skip to the next one. Mine says, now before I tell you why to avoid this, the one that I'm oh, t- saying oh, oh. avoid because it's torture, and I'm going, <laughs> you're going, I'm tell, going to go on a rant. Are you going to tell us how to I'm avoid going on a rant here, is, uh, I watched, go. when it came out, it came out a week back in Friday or whatever it was, and it's Spike Lee's Da Five Bloods. Black G.I., is it fair to serve more than the white Americans that sent you here? Nothing is more confused than to be ordered into a war to die without the faintest idea of what's going on. I dedicate this next record to the soul brothers of the 1st Infantry Divisions. Be safe. Welcome back to Vietnam. Look at that You're the man in all his glory. Who was that guy? That brother was the best damn soldier that ever lived. It's his, you know, his equivalent of Martin Scorsese's The Irishman. But before I tell you why, I should say I'm not a, I'm not a big Spike Lee fan. I think I've seen maybe a handful of his films. Off the top of my head, Malcolm X, which I thought was a good film. Uh, I hated Malcolm no, X. No, it's got it's got a lot of good good components to it. Um, Inside Man, which is that's a which good, is good. Yeah, enjoyed it. And I've I've seen Old Boy, which is quite possibly one of the worst remakes of anything I've ever seen. Right, just watch the original. It's <laughs> fucking rubbish. Um, and I thought, right, the the, the the five bloods, and I have to say it like that. I don't know why, because it's da number five bloods. Um, it's a story about four black Vietnam vets who return to the country in the present day and they're trying to find a case of gold that they buried there after a firefight during the Vietnam War. Um, there's a kind of a story about what that, how that came about and all that sort of stuff. It was the CIA were giving it to people that were fighting for the Americans or something like this. Some fucking really stupid story. <laughs> and, I, and I really, really wanted to enjoy it. You know, I thought, this is really good. You know, I'd heard a lot about it. It looked really promising. Decent cast, big budget, Netflix, all that sort of stuff. And, you know, we all enjoy a Vietnam War movie. And I was kind of hoping it would have added something to the kind of wider <laughs> library of films that, you they know... Always, they always make me laugh. <laughs> yeah, well, not good morning <laughs> Vietnam does, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, I thought maybe he'll have something to say about the Vietnam War, you know. Maybe he's even got something to say about the present day, you know, given everything that's going on in the world at the moment. And But, you know, here's the problem with it. It doesn't know what kind of film it wants to be, right? It's it, as a statement about, you know, black Vietnam vets. Obviously, we know disproportionately uh, black American soldiers died in Vietnam compared to the general population by a, quite a considerable percentage. And there isn't a huge amount of cinema that tells their story, certainly, you know, not high-profile ones that I can think of. And it, it, it does manage to capture a tiny wee bit of that, a wee bit of the politics, you know, about the Black Panthers and, you know, how, how the soldiers felt they were being treated, a tiny bit of it. 
but it just doesn't know what kind of film it wants to be. Is it an action film? Well, Spike Lee is not a particularly good action director, so it certainly tries to be, and it fails pretty badly at being an action film. Is it a docudrama? They keep bringing up like photographs of real people and real events and bringing up text on the screen to tell you about a particular event to try and contextualise it. Is it a political statement? Is it a comedy? And the answer to all of these things is no. It's a fucking it's a fucking shambles. It's what it's what the it's what the guys in Vietnam would have said was a foo bar. Fucked up beyond all recognition. <laughs> it's all over the place. It's a, it's a shambles. It's a shambles. Just in the corner. And it, it's it's structurally all over the place. It just totally mm-hmm. descends into farce. It tries, it tries to be Oliver Stone one minute, and next minute it goes into, it's been shot in 16 mil, which apparently he had to fight Netflix for. I'm doing wee inverted commas here around fight Netflix. I don't believe that for a minute. <laughs> the, you know, the, you, no. you had to fight to shoot some scenes in 16 mil. That just sounds like a bullshit reason for why it looks so shite, you know? It tries to be Francis Ford Coppola. It tries to be John Irvin. It tries to be John Houston. It tries to be David Lean, and he keeps hammering home the reference, you know, the, you know, references to Treasure of the Sierra Madre, references to Bridge and the River Kwai, you know, madness, and, you know, uh, what's the, we don't need no stinking badges, and all, and you're like, this is just, yeah. fuck, it's a fucking disaster. It tries to do things he's not, he's not <laughs> known for, which is mixing, kind of subverting genres, and as I said earlier, uh, direct in action, he's fucking honking at that. But the, 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 but the cat... <laughs> <laughs> the cast is good. Clark, Clark Peters is very good, and I, I, I saw a Whitlock uh, Junior, who was the um, senator in the Wire. Shit, you know that guy that would say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. pretty good in it. But it's like I, I came away from it thinking I, I fucking don't know what this film is about. You know, I looked at my watch half a dozen times in the first half hour. And I don't know, maybe there was a point I missed. Maybe, uh, but, but certainly it wasn't for the want of Spike Lee fucking hammering it home to me. Does... Um, and it, 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 it's just... <laughs> Can I ask you, Martin? Yes. Before, before you explode, <laughs> does that guy go... Does that guy do... She... He, he does. He does. I like actors. He does his thing. He does. Yes. She... Oh, that's good, because I really... And Chris, you'll back me on this. I like a turn who brings his turn to any other film that he's in. <laughs> That's a brilliant thing. Yeah, it's like yeah, Robbie yeah. the Robot like... always played Robbie the Robot, yeah. didn't he? Whatever yeah, he or, it's like... or it's like Bernie Clifton in Pantomime. He's going to come out in an ostrich. Aye. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah. It do- and it does things in a way that, you know, um, obviously Spike Lee is, is a, a big proponent of black actors, uh, telling stories about black people. He's always, is you it, know, he's you always kind of fighting against the, you know, the, the Tarantino approach to. The man. To you know, language and all this sort of stuff. But then what he does is, is he stereotypes Vietnamese people in it. You know, the only female character in it mm. is a is a love you long time uh, former prostitute from during the war. Yeah, and yeah. and the the soldiers that they encounter are just cliches of Vietnamese soldiers. You know, broken English and just after the money and all this sort of stuff. It's just it's really really terrible. And I was reading some reviews recently saying, oh, this is a worthy Oscar contender and all this. And you think, oh, please don't don't do that. Don't give this don't, don't give this thing awards that it clearly doesn't deserve. So. I think it's very much a mixed bag. I think it feels like two separate films fighting for uh, fighting with control. It's, it's funny you say that because I, I, I like you, have a lot of. Um, I'm not that keen on Spike Lee. 
when I was like 18, 19, I went and saw like, you know, Do the Right Thing and Jungle Fever, thinking it's supposed to be quite important films. I still think Do the Right Thing is, is a pretty good film, although like Chris, I also believe Sal can put up the pictures whoever the fuck he wants to when he speaks. <laughs> yes, it's a anyway. yeah. Turn off that music. Jungle Fever is actually quite a nasty film. Um, yeah. Quite a racist film, actually. And subsequently, the only ones of his, and I hated Malcolm X. I mean, I, I like Inside Man. I liked Black Klansman that came out a couple of years ago because it's actually yeah. very funny. And it's such yeah. a good story. Of course, Adam Driver's good. But um, mm. this new one, I saw the trailer for it, and I thought, it's funny you should say that about the, the times that he attacks um, um, Quentin Tarantino, because it looked to me like an attempt to make Inglorious Bastards. Yeah, it's, it looked mm. like a real rip-off of it. it but I think you've maybe got that from the trailer, but it's more like a kind of yeah. treasure of the Sierra Madre. And then it just, I actually, I, I think I described it when I texted you about this, it's the kind of film that you came back from the VHS shop in the early 1990s when all the good <laughs> films had been hired out. And you watched it yep. and, you went, <laughs> and, and then you went, what the fuck am I watching here? This is garbage. <laughs> but you know what? I've paid for it and there's nothing else to do because it's, it's, you know, eight o'clock on a Wednesday in November, you know? Mm. That's the kind of film and ironically, one of the And ironically, one of the other videos... Would have been a Star Trek: The Next Generation video, uh -huh. yes. <laughs> which you would have been better oh, unification. At, yeah. at least in those days, the fifty. Oh my goodness! Sorry, the fifty p for three D film would be out here. It is Dennis. Yeah, right? come on, get, at least that film would be over in about ninety minutes, as opposed <laughs> oh, to this one, which is about oh, three it's hours way long, too long. It? And wow. it just doesn't do any of that Oliver Stone stuff. If you think of something like Natural Born Killers, where he mixes and subverts all the kind of different genres to try and make a point about, you know trash TV culture and serial killers and all this. It doesn't do any of that. It's just this weird... It goes to 4 by 3 and then you're back in Vietnam. And, and he deliberately... Apparently, he didn't deliberately de-age the actors. I, I don't know why. He, uh, you know, he could have just got younger actors, but they're the same age that they are. And, and, yeah, and they're trying weird. to dress that up. They're trying to dress that up as a feature of the film. Actually, it's a limited... I, it's think, a limited. I think that's... If I were writing a, a fourth-year Edinburgh University film studies um, essay about that, I would probably refer to that as a Brechtian distancing technique. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> yes, indeed. Surely you would say it was a a, a, a Dennis Potter reference, Blue Remembered Hills. Yes. Uh, oh, yes. Absolutely, yeah. When the moon <laughs> comes over the anyway, there's not much else Guys, to be said about it. No, definitely not. Either of you sold on it. fucking terrible. Yeah. I'm willing to promise you, Martin, that I will never watch this film. And, De and Dennis, <laughs> yeah, Dennis yeah, is well, also going to watch this film as well. Dennis is also willing to say that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely not. So yeah, there okay. we are. No, no, I, no I you've I won't shaggy dog this one for too long, but actually I think the thing that I've picked for my torture is, a, is for a particular reason, which is kind of one of the things we've threaded through this whole series. Um, mm -hmm. One of the things that goes wrong with um, TV programmes these days is, as well as that they binge, we binge them and forget about them, is I think in this day and age, quite a lot of them outstay their welcome. So mm -hmm. things that would have actually been quite a good one series end up being five or ten. Mm. Um, Homeland is a great example of that. Homeland's story was over by the end of the first series. I yeah. bowed out, I think, three in after the wee guy from the East End, as he looks like Damien uh, Lewis, who just looks to me like that guy that used to be in charge of Celtic. What was his name? 
Oh, Neil Lennon. Kind of the ginger hair. Ah, he looks at Neil Lennon. Uh, when, he, when, he, <laughs> when he pegs it at the end of the series, it should have ended there. Billions should have ended after the second series. Damages should have ended after the first series. For me, the one that has currently outlived its welcome, and it's a shame because it began being so, so good, is um, uh, Killing Eve. I just had a really bad breakup. But when I think about my ex, I realize I am so much happier now she's dead. I'm moving up in the world. <laughs> Eve is alive. She's back, Eve. This isn't about me. Which I thought started off brilliantly. It was funny, it was fresh, it was new. It's now three series in, and I, ju- I, I really fucking struggled to get to the end of that third series. The second one wasn't great, but the third one was just... And you start seeing, um, I guess it's often like sort of human relations with people, things that were once charming about people become quite irritating. And yeah. um, uh, um, you see the manneristics of the program now, so you know there'll be a sort of a loud music section with a, a track mm. or something. And it'll be slow motion and someone will die at the end of it. You just can, you can <laughs> absolutely pick out every single beat of it. And it now makes no sense as a story. Right back mm. at the beginning when it was a strange attraction, hatred between the two of them. And they're both very, very good. Sandra Oh is a great actor. Mm. And Jodie Cromer is incredibly talented. Mm-hmm. She's fantastic. She is, she is brilliant. But mm-hmm. the program for me has outlived its life by quite some way now, and I will not be going back to it. So that is my torture. Watching Series 3 of Killing Eve was torture. Do you think, Craig, that a, a lot of that is to blame on the fact that, was it was it the second series that Phoebe Waller-Bridge didn't participate in it, or she was only an executive producer had, or something She like wrote that? the first one. She was the sort of showrunner for the first one. She's still credited as an executive producer, but there's a different writer every series. Hmm. But... Um, I don't know. I think maybe the source material is too thin for it as well. Mm. There's only so much you can do with cat and mouse. Mm-hmm. And they've now had like sort of face-to-face um, um, showdowns about five times. Well, one of them would be dead by now. Mm-hmm. One would have yeah. killed the other by now, mm. you know? Do you think there's a possibility, you know, that there's a, a, often, a, often a thing with series that go on for too long is when there's a, a, a definite decision to end it that there can be an upturn in quality because there's a focus yeah. again. Do you think yeah. if, if they actually say, look, this is we're going to do so many more and then that's it, then they might actually be able to work to a point and, and bring the quality back up? But I mean, the point nice I'm making is, would you, well, the point I'm making is would, you, <laughs> would you bother? Yeah, that's, that's the thing. Would you even bother? Yeah. I don't think I would yeah. now, no. I mean, I really found yeah. it hard work trying to get through it. And it's only like six or seven episodes, so it's not a long series. But mm. I was really struggling by about a se- an episode. Then I thought, this is going nowhere. But don't you think also that it's got to the point, you know, you said this cat and mouse game, where really all it's doing is it's prolonging its end, isn't it? Because they, you can't actually yes. have one kill the other. So maybe that, you know, to Chris's point, which is if they did know they were going to finish it, at least it means they could actually move, they could move it on a bit, couldn't they? Yeah, but I, I, I almost guarantee that it'll either end with them going off together or killing each other and dying outside. <laughs> should it not end with? Should it not end with her killing Eve? 
That would make sense, wouldn't it? That then would it, be good, then it does it? exactly yeah. what it says on the tin. That's a good idea. Yeah, I know. But again, if they brought you in on an earlier stage, Martin, this could have been... Done... It would have been over in the first couple of minutes. There you go. It's done. Mm-hmm. That would have been fine. Yeah, yeah. that would have been good. Yeah. Anyone else got any thoughts on that one? Well, I stopped watching. I, I, I really enjoyed Series 1. Um, I stopped watching after the first episode of Series 2, actually, because it just it smelled like it was wow. going off the boil at that point to me. Yeah, we watched we watched to the end of season two and then decided that's that. No more. Not interested. Yeah. Shame, because it was great. And speaking of which (laughs) speaking of which I think we need to wrap up. (laughs) After our after this monster Jesus Monster 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 Monster. What's up to him? What's up to him? Which if it, if anybody is uh, is still Died. with us, <laughs> we should probably put little chapters into this yeah. so that we can skip backwards and forwards. Skip to the torture bit if you're walking backwards. <laughs> uh, that, that's the end of our uh, kiss cuddling torture special edition yeah, of yeah. the uh, of the lockdown miscellany. Mm-hmm. We'll be back at some point in the indeterminate future with another title in another configuration. Uh, in the meantime, it's goodbye from Craig. Goodbye, folks. Take care. Goodbye from Jack. Goodbye to you all. Goodbye from Martin. Goodbye. <laughs> and it's and it's a goodbye from me. Goodbye. Bye. 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 Bye.